and welcome to the WCW vs. NWO podcast, the podcast that analyzes, dissects, and starts a new splinter faction in one of the most important eras in professional wrestling history. I'm your host, Dave, and today we're going to be looking at the Great American Bash in 1998. But of course, I couldn't do this alone. I, uh, I need uh, members to start a new splinter faction. Uh, today, I got two of the best. I've cherry-picked two of the best. First, Fergus Looney. How are you doing, man? I'm on holidays, so I'm pretty good. Uh, no complaints. Looking forward to giving out about lots of wrestling. And Connor O'Donnell, how you doing, my man? I'm doing good. I'm really interested to go over this show because this one particularly gets glossed over in all the documentaries because pretty much just goes straight from Sting winning the title, some Wolfpack here and there, and then Goldberg wins the title. So it's this middle holding place we're in here because the basketball playoffs are finally just concluding. So it's nice to check out what WCW is doing. Yeah, a little lost in history, but a, a very important time because, as we were saying in the last cast, the Wolfpack is starting to kind of emerge and is finally its own kind of storyline. And because of that, the Wolfpack and their actual identity and their actual sweet team music is dominating the Nitros and Thunders. And uh, Gus, what's that been like? Well, first of all, it's not sweet team music when you have to hear it four times in <laughs> 45 minutes every single show. It gets old real fast. The original NWO music that everybody knows and loves, not the hokey bee music lads who get stuck with the country shit. This Wolfpack team, it just grates on me so quickly. It makes no sense for so many of the wrestlers, particularly Sting. Um, (laughs) Sorry to spoil a little bit here, but having to listen to Sting coming out to weird hip hop rap B stock footage is just, it just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. So so you don't like it at all? It was fine to start with, but I've heard it so many times. It's it's dragging on it. I could listen to the original one all day, though. I, I think it suits the error, and I, I, I would agree that it sounds a little dated now that I've heard it with new ears. I, I'm a little biased, as I was saying to the guys before the cast. I actually knew this music before I knew the NWO music because it was on a, a ring I had, like a figurine, that you press it and it did the Wolfpack music, and... I've said this before. There's something inherently cool about the name Wolfpack. So even having like the howls in the music as it started. Uh, yeah, I just, I love that. And I love for some reason as a little weird kid, the idea that they're a Halloween havoc as the Wolfpack with howls in their music and stuff. I thought very uh, Misfits-ish-esque of them, you know. I, I mean, it's a hard bar to, to set because it's WCW music because... I mean, yep. this theme stands out to me. I think I think it's actually pretty good. Just mainly because I think it's it's just different. There's no like guitar. There's no super like heavy bass. You know, we go on and on about WCW wrestlers not having music. So it's nice to just have something new for once. Yeah, I'll totally agree to that. In the grand scheme of things, it's it's definitely one of the better ones. And you're right. It's it's very different from everybody else. It's not Nirvana slash Pearl Jam slash whatever other gr- grunge band people wanted to rip off. So it's good in that sense, but it's just such a weird thing to listen to when Sting comes out. He doesn't look anything remotely like the music. See, I don't think like that's that. his fault. I think they just chose no, no, bad members to be for the group. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just, it, for me, it makes it worse. I'm just like, it, it works with Conan and it does work with Kevin, to be fair. Yeah. But then everybody else, it just looks really weird, particularly when it's like Kurt Hennig and Rick Rude coming out to this music. And you're like, Rick Rude's wearing a suit and it's just a real styles clash on it. 
I, I think it is funny that the wolf pack represents this kind of more youthful. I know Kevin and Scott aren't the most youthful, but it is kind of more youthful anti-Hulk Hogan stuff. I don't like Conan, but that is Conan, in fairness. And then, yeah, you're like Rick Rude and Sting. I'm like, okay. Is Conan all that much younger than, than Hogan? You know, I've said that, but I haven't done my research. I yeah, can get roasted on that one, maybe. Well, what, what's the odds that he's around the same age as Kevin and Scott and I'm gonna say I'm going to say... At least ten years younger. He's fifty-seven like, right now. Oh, maybe not then. That's close then. He's he's not a million miles away from Hogan. Like, well, I should have been able to tell with the way he wrestles. That's on me. <laughs> but yeah, it's it, it. There is an oversaturation too. These shows are at least half of every show is dominated by the Wolfpack or Hollywood, one or the other. They're constantly being talked about. It's the only real story that matters. Yes, they talk about other ones. The half other end of the roster may as well not exist sometimes because there's no stakes to what's going on. And they're frequently treated very poorly in terms of TV time they get and so on. The one exception is Goldberg. He's like onto himself. He kind of exists and he's slowly creeping into the same area as the NWO. Yeah, and he's you on can the moon, tell, but he's coming closer to Earth, right? Yeah, you, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he's he's uh, what is it, World War Hulk, and like they just won't be able to avoid him now. So he, you can see the start of it this month because he gets to wrestle one of the Wolfpack members, but otherwise, it's constantly talking about who's going to join which faction. There's a whole really like a month long storyline between first they're trying to court Sting after the end of the pay per view, which we saw where Sting had his best shocked face beyond that they they look at some other people brett decides to try and court chris benoit which is like a weird thing you're like oh chris benoit they actually like chris benoit what, what's going on uh, brett, so he kind of i don't think the rest of the group does <laughs> that's true yeah. uh so there's a little bit of that hollywood tries to get sting too it doesn't go so well in the end sting picks the wolf pack they've brought in lex luger so Lex Luger is now the recruiter for the Wolfpack. He he gets a lot of promo time. It's nice for Lex to have something to do. It's still not great, but... Did they choose ever. the greatest guy to be their mouthpiece, though? <laughs> I do have to think that all the Eric and Hogan stuff is they know they're lame. They're being lame dads. But in reality, I think they thought they were cool and the Wolfpack were cool and they were having a cool off, you know? Hogan definitely thinks he's cool. <laughs> I don't know about Eric. Eric is too busy being sleazy to whatever woman is in the oh. in the shot. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of that too. And then towards the end of the month, they reintroduce Scott Steiner, who's not on the show. And they have a vignette of Hogan introducing him to his Hollywood pals, which is very, very entertaining if you want to see how cringy it is because of uh, Hogan thinking he knows people in Hollywood. And it's just all D and Z list uh, celebrities. So they try to reintroduce Steiner as some like affluent movie star kind of thing. So he's still not quite at his character yet. Not Big Papa Pump yet. No, not remotely. He's he's wearing this really awkward suit and it just doesn't work. Mm. So I want to ask like kind of big picture questions here, because when you look at like the previous two years and you look at 1997, where, you know, we were kind of critical about the minute details of the NWO at least on paper, though, that whole thing was very logical and had some semblance of a story arc and just like overall plan. This was like, what, two weeks? We have two new members in the Wolfpack and it's it doesn't really seem justified again. 
No, for me, it feels like I'm rewatching 96 and 97 in terms of similar story beats. It's just now it's the one faction splitting up into two as opposed to the faction coming in to taking over a company. They're just playing the same kind of hits over and over now. There's nothing new to this. And it's fine. It obviously is doing monster ratings for the more it's selling merch and whatever. So they're, I think they're just getting complacent about it. Sure. It, it's yeah. weird that St- like the Sting joining the Wolfpack gets such a cheer because he's he's the one that epitomizes WCW. and Yeah, so there's a, <laughs> that run up to it when there's basically they offer to sting and Hollywood offers to sting. They cart out JJ Dillon and he appears and it's, it's quite telling actually. They, so they have limos. Everybody arrives in a limo the night when he's supposed to make his decision. And so the other two obviously come out with their usual flunkies. And then JJ Dillon gets out of a limo and it's very telling. He comes out with Goldberg, Booker T and DDP. And you're like, yeah, that's correct. Those are probably the most obvious people you would think of who are team WCW. But the only thing I could think of when he makes his appeal is that they're just this like skint uh, owner from like an NFL franchise who's just trying to hope that the hometown hero will take a discount mm. and will stay. Wow, loyal. great comp. Yeah, I like it. There's no reason why Sting would ever pick WCW. And they've done such a bad job of even talking up WCW before this point that you're like, why would he care? Why would he pick anybody else like for all I care at this point, the Wolfpack is part of WCW. Right, right. It's just really weird that the the pacing, like I said, it's like this all happened in one month. Yeah. But the, the previous couple of years, it, these two characters were, they're two world champions. And this is, remember, you know, Sting took a year off, basically. And Luger would say, I'm sick and tired of this group for an entire year as well. Now it's like, yeah, whatever. I'm good with joining yeah, cool. them now. Yeah, they just kind of go fuck it uh, <laughs> fuck it i want to be cool now yeah yeah i, I want to make m- loads of money too that's what it feels like curiously uh, until i we mentioned ddp there ddp basically is not around after all the, the time and effort they put into him he's not on the shows a lot that's a that's a shame like i i know like i've obviously we've seen the future and we see him become such a big thing but he seemed a slam dunk to me ever since we started the podcast and biases aside that's it's sad to see him kind of get lost in the shuffle at this stage when someone like him is desperately needed. I, he does he does make mention, like he does want to go after the world title and he's kind of separate himself and where he's at, but he's, he's not a player at all for most of the month. Has there been any kind of build up with Goldberg going against the NWO besides the storyline that we get on this pay-per-view? Nope. Um. <laughs> okay. So wow, yeah, just, th- that seems seems like a very drastic uh, upward hill to. Um, he's where we he's go. still just wrestling whoever's put in front of him. He's still wrestling idiots and, and killing no, them. Very no promos quickly. yet either. No, no, interesting. No promos. Okay. I don't think he. Yeah, he doesn't even have a promo against. It's all Hennig and Rude doing the promos in the run up okay. to to the show. I'll explain that with the actual match for you, Dave. Since. Neither of them are wrestling. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks for a recap, Gus. Just like uh, everything is superfluous to the wolf pack, that's how we're going to treat it in the, in the podcast as well for the moment, and we'll explain their rivalries as they come into the matches. But we're going to jump into the pay-per-view. And uh, gentlemen, I don't know if you uh, what you think of this uh, opening thing yet, and I would love to get an American's opinion, uh, Connor, but uh, this was very Purge-esque to me. The distorted kind of like american music and like the flashing kind of black and white imagery what did you think 
gave me a headache with how fast <laughs> it was like flickering and all the superimposing. So yeah, I guess that's pretty spot on with America. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> absolutely perfect. Followed by a big fireworks display and American flags everywhere. It was so everywhere. much pyro. Yeah, it's it's weird too. They they show all these like main eventers and the you know Goldberg and things like that. Then they flash to like Eddie and Chavo. Like, don't get me wrong, love Eddie and Chavo, but not really American, not really your top do- draws either. So yeah. odd choice. <laughs> no, I'm not. I was gonna make a joke there, but there's so many ways it could be really, really bad, so I won't. <laughs> okay, yeah. <that's- laughs> yeah. I think you guys know what I'm talking about. I, I get you. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing too exceptional about the commentary team, still no Dusty. Uh, they run down some of the feuds and throw to Mean Gene on the stage where he goes through uh, the complexities of the main event and the weird tag team situation. At first, I thought this was very weird and just Mean Gene earning his thousands of dollars. But I think it's actually because the crowd might be really confused when they put the tag team titles on the line in a one-on-one match. So they had to get their live crowd up to date. Yeah, you know, you always know that's uh, if you have to explain it to the audience <laughs> yeah. like that. Not a good start. Well, the commentary team trying to tell us about the Benoit Booker rivalry, uh, showing how sterile that's going over. The crowd are just screaming for Goldberg, actually drowning out the commentary team. Yeah, well, what better way to uh, cure their Goldberg fix to give them a thunder replay? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that food, that is the first match of nice Booker T versus Chris Benoit. And this rivalry has been a bit uh, sorted and a little confusing at this stage. Uh, they had the end of their uh, best of seven. Bret Hart, who's been courting Chris Benoit for the NWO Hollywood, gets involved, smashing Booker with a with a chair for Benoit to win. But Benoit doesn't want to take the win like that. And even though he gets the 10 count for the victory anyway, he insists on rematches and there's no way he wants to end their perfect, pure wrestling rivalry that way, leaving them still both the good guys, kind of strangely. Now, so Booker wins... The match and he oh, doesn't want to win that way. Yeah, yeah. So Benoit is about to win by a 10 count. Yeah. And he chooses to pull up Booker because he doesn't want to win that way. He sure. tells the ref the truth and he gets DQ'd. Apologies, you are right. The first self-imposed DQ, you are right. It's it's not exactly the easiest thing. So then on the following the following show, Booker then tells JJ Dillon and he does it in a promo. I don't want to win that way basically the two of them are trying to have a baby face off and we're like, we'll go again and this will decide who the true winner is. We're going to have um, the eighth match in a best of seven. Good start to the pay-per-view. I, I mean, obviously it's a little convoluted, but I yeah. like <laughs> it's still like for an undercard, mid-card feud. Like this is pretty good stuff. I, I like what they're trying. It's just getting a little boring. And oh yeah, it, too much. And yeah. you're, buying, you're buying a match that has been on Tunders. If you want to go back to the old school buying a pay-per-view and it's supposed to be a climax, but yet it doesn't feel like a climax. Well, it's not for the title. That That's for, that's the worst part. Yeah, It's even worse than that, though. It's been on Worldwide or Saturday Night, one of those oh two. Oh, my God. At least oh. one of the matches was on that on those, like, to fit it all in. But they've added a couple of wrinkles along the way. Like, Stevie Ray returns about halfway through to kind of, like, give support to his brother. And then there's little hints because Stevie Ray is like, you won. Why, why are you doing this again? Like, what, what are you doing? This is a this is a terrible mistake. So there's a little bit of conflict kind of inserted into it. But for the most part, I, I got bored watching their matches by the end of yeah, it. Yeah, I, I will say this isn't like these are five-star matches. I like Booker and I like Chris Fine. They're not like the perfect chemistry duo I want doing this, though. You know what I mean? They're not the like the perfect tag team, for uh, the perfect two for this. I love Brain's comment uh, coming into this, asking if Booker would have done the same for Benoit if the shoe was on the other foot. 
putting a bit of scent there, seeing is Booker Reed a good guy he looks like, and making good story where there is none in the double baby face bout. I thought they'd be a little bit more uh, questionative of Benoit's allegiances, but I guess the actions of both men prior to this match completely dispels any kind of tension if one of them is going to be one of, an NWO member by the end of this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. like, both of them are, I know this sounds a little silly, but both of them are too good almost. Too much of good guys to kind of uh, be in this match. Tentative slow start by both men in this match. Booker is the first one to try to use power moves, uh, you know, break up the chain wrestling and stuff and get an edge. But Benoit is quick to take control of the match. While he certainly isn't a heel, he's the one working off Booker uh, and Booker becoming like come behind baby face. They are leaning into that crowd reaction from Booker. Uh, they're telling the story kind of a boat man being very ready for each other. And they effing ought to be after you met the matches they've had. I actually do dig the commentary in the beginning because they're they're kind of sowing in the seeds of doubt that Booker's like knee might cost him the match, and he's trying maybe not to hide the pain. So th- there's there's a lot of like psychological stuff that's going on in the beginning here that I actually really like. Yeah, yeah, the commentary on point for a lot of these matches tonight. Actually, hmm, shocking. <laughs> Benoit is being brutally efficient with a lot of his uh, with his offense. He's being very Dean esque, I would say. No wasted space, really cutting them out, and he's not waiting for the reactions from the crowd. So, while not being again a heel, knowing the dynamic where the match to go, Booker can't seem to break the assault, getting cut off uh, every which way he goes, including a nice spot where Benoit just steps out of the way when Booker goes for a crossbody, and he eats nothing but mat. Eventually, a sweet Inzaguri spine, uh, and spine buster that Booker gets some offense in. His uh, usual stuff, a pancake into the Spinaroonie. Benoit cuts uh, Booker off uh, from going up top with a huge suplex. This almost ends the match with a double countdown, uh, and Benoit then almost gets a three count off the cover. The moves start to intensify. Sharp knife head chops by Benoit, and a double German ending in a triple suplex for another close two. That was a... Great fucking spot, I thought. Yeah, fantastic spot. Like that's uh, that's uh, starting to be maybe a Benoit. I remember from his uh, his five star matches. Short clothesline and Benoit signals uh, for the diving headbutt and hits it. There's a long pause for the cover again. Why does he do it if he can't just cover people? But let's not let's not break that too much. And he only gets a two count. Booker reverses a whip into the corner and hits Benoit with a Harlem sidekick to the back of the head, which looks. Brutal. It looks like Benoit just takes all of it. When that doesn't get him off his feet, he hits another one straight on. This time, Benoit isn't fast enough to his feet to stop Booker, and a missile dropkick ends the match at three. Clean as a whistle and uh, making Bam- uh, making Booker look fantastic at the end, I think. What do you guys think of this match after seeing these guys go at it so many times? Not watching all the Nitros and Thunders, this felt slightly more fresh, I'm, I'm guessing, because I thought this match was excellent. I think it was way better than the ones we saw on pay-per-view previously. The crowd was more into it. It's just poor Benoit. He just never gets a fucking victory. And I thought he was going to get it here, especially <laughs> with Booker like already getting like double booking with uh, the one that's super well. So this just kind of felt like samey stuff. And I think Benoit just needs it more at this point. But uh, like Dave said, great to have a clean finish. It's refreshing and during these times and, I'm just hoping both guys can move on from this. This this feels like a recurring thing with Chris Benoit. He just gets stuck in these never-ending feuds. He he has an issue, and uh, I think it plagued him for a lot of his career, and it plagues a lot of actually some of the mid-carders from here that go on, is there's good workers, as much as I've criticized Benoit, but they're seen, at least by the wrestling world, as good workers. It's like, oh, you put over Booker? 
oh, you put over this guy. Oh, you put over that guy. Like, you don't need a win. You're such a good wrestler is kind of the, I think, the attitude behind some of these. And certainly Booker, Booker's good, and Booker needs to be pushed, and he probably needs to be in the main event picture somewhere in the next year or two in the storyline. But, yeah, they keep putting him in these feuds where he can't win. Like, there's no choice. It is not correct to book Benoit for a win. Then why book him in the feud is, is kind of the, the problem, I think. Yeah, I'd agree with that. He's he's just a he's too good a wrestler and he doesn't have the promo work. Even though I watched them now eight times in the space of what two, three weeks, I still enjoyed it. This is good. There are callbacks to their earlier matches. So a superplex wins one of their one of their matches. Like they, they don't always win with their finishers through the best of seven. So there is like some give and take, like they learn from match to match and it does play up into this like obviously the knee is the most obvious bit but there there are other callbacks throughout so it's very good it's probably the best one of those seven matches that i watched yeah i enjoyed it it it, it's the right kind of opening match for the for a pay-per-view i don't know who else you would have really gone with other than this one yeah and i i I have been critical but i don't want to be too critical because i like that they're trying this this feels very Japanese match kind of style and Chris has obviously worked over there so I appreciate that they're trying to push this out and obviously they care like there's a lot of talk about how WCW don't care about the mid card but they gave these guys infinite matches and time to work their stuff yeah and Booker being in the limousine as a prominent member of WCW it's it's nice to see that Booker's kind of getting slight upward movement here they obviously care somewhat there is talk there also he has to wrestle again so, <laughs> mm-hmm. oh yeah, this uh, this was uh, we kind of skimmed over that. Uh, but this was uh, technically a TV champion number one contender match. So uh, the winner of this gets to fight Fit Finley, who's kind of been a background character defending the title. Or these two few, this felt like a TV title few. Obviously, it should it should have been. Yeah, but it, but it isn't. The the winner gets to fight Finley. Another big reason probably why Booker won. Booker is, has been very good at playing the beatdown babyface in a lot of these matches, and that uh, spoilers is what he's going to play later. Yeah, now that you bring it up, a good point that I thought his selling was excellent. I, I haven't really noticed his selling as much, because um, usually when he was with Harlem Heat, he was really much more of the yeah, the beatdown heel tag team. So hot now, t- yeah, very good hot tag. Yeah. He's been very good with the selling, because Benoit was mostly in charge for the majority of the match. So I, I thought he did a great job looking Benoit, look, making his offense look even more deadly. So I thought great stuff from Booker. I thought this was one of his like best performances. Yeah, I agree. Segment after this is a podcast favorite, Internet Nerds, this time with Chavo, who is being intense. He's completely snapped. He's saying Eddie was right all along. And he's arguing with Tony, of course, saying Eddie wants to fight. He wants to fight. Well, Tony's like, no, he's your family. He loves you. Lee Marshall, Which, you mean? Yeah, oh, it's it is. I keep thinking Tony the Tiger. So. <laughs> Sounds great, in fact. Yeah. Way. <laughs> yeah, this is nice. Chavo's showing some character and probably a bit underrated. Chavo is quite charismatic, and I think he gets overshadowed by Eddie, of course, the most charismatic man of all time. On to our second match of the night, and it's our debut or our match debut of Canyon. We've seen him as Mortis in previous matches, and we've seen him involved in the Raven storyline before this, and he's coming up against Saturn for this match. And this was supposed to be like the flock versus Canyon. Canyon's been uh, attacking Raven. He has this new catchphrase that isn't uh, that Mingus agrees hasn't landed that much. It's the wherever kind of attacking. What what is it exactly again, Gus? I think you it's had it. Like wherever, whenever, or something. It's dumb anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he's still re- or, you know reaping his vengeance. But we've still had this like side storyline 
where Saturn and Raven are falling out. And Raven is kind of apologizing. Raven's like negging him almost, which I guess is a very of its time thing where he's like apologizing and saying Saturn is his friend. Saturn is his friend, but isn't in the flock. It's a little convoluted, but essentially it boils down to a Raven and a Saturn on the outs. And a Saturn is doing this match for Raven. He is getting rid of Canyon. He's a very, like, if you think of a like, narcissistic boyfriend for somebody. So <laughs> one week he just, Perry's like, I'm your friend. I'm not putting up with this crap. Forget about it. So Raven freaks out and he's like, I'll do whatever it takes to get you back. They work out their differences and like part of it, Raven just goes, I mean, I'll get rid of the flock. You guys, you're all fired. <laughs> and he just tells them that they're all gone and they all stand around and go, what? And he's like, yeah, if, if that's what it takes to get Perry back, hit the bricks, guys. And then like two weeks later, they're all back in the flock and it's all exactly the same. And like he'll say he's best friends and all this stuff. And then he'd be like, oh, but what about me? What about Raven? Oh, he says his friend. <laughs> And he'll insult people. And oh. There's a bit of growth and development going on because he's getting a bit more paranoid now with this. Like Canyon just shows up randomly and he's always disguised as something else, much like he was in the in the build up to the previous pay-per-view. Like he'll jump him or he'll throw somebody out that looks like him as a production crew and Raven will freak out and go, that's that's Canyon, go, go get him. And they go beat up the guy. And so he's left by himself. And then it turns out Canyon's directly behind him. And he beats him up a little bit. And then he runs away. And that's really all that happens. And Perry is just, uh, doesn't really want to be in the flock anymore. I don't think, or doesn't consider himself anyway. And he's just doing whatever he wants. He he takes the time out to beat up uh, Glacier again as well. <laughs> Burying Glacier. Holy the God. burial of Glacier, Glacier by Saturn brings me so much joy because <laughs> it's just so unnecessary and it's just so real. He's just like, yeah, you're a Mortal Kombat character. Get get out of here. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, well, it's yeah, just pretty so much. He's just funny. like, you're an idiot. Uh, <laughs> I'll show you how, how it's done. And he beats him several times, actually. <laughs> Yeah, if, if if I was gonna guess like top ten burials of nineteen ninety eight, I w- I didn't think this was gonna be our top like our top five one. <laughs> <laughs> it's up I'll there. Give, I'll give props to Glacier. He's like he really does get into his character at least, and he's not like half assing it. He really does try, but he's sad. Yeah, I wish they tried with him earlier. Come on. Yep. But yeah, so we have this show. Uh, Raven is super paranoid, and he's hoping um, Perry can do the job on Canyon for him because he's like also a carriage, even though he could back it up if he wanted to. Perry's been given a little more depth in his character with his new music as well. It's not just a siren. It's a siren with some weird undertone music, but a step forward for Mr. Saturn. Canyon comes out with the old Mortis costume and the old music, but he's duped us all. It's not Canyon. It's a, uh, it's not Sting. I mean, Canyon. It's a fake I mean- Canyon. <laughs> I, I mean, I'll admit, I was super bummed when he came down to that music. I was like, oh, wow. They wouldn't even give him new gear or anything. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, like, legitimately, I fell for him. Like, oh, are they going to do this weird, you know, he's Mortis when he's coming out and he sheds the costume as the new character or whatever. But no, he uh, gets to jump on Saturn from behind and he get, uh, getting a close uh, fall or two as well. The match is mostly Canyon dominating, but the flock gets involved. First Kidman, but he dispatches him. And then some more of the goon squad uh, gets to beat down on Canyon on the outside. Good so. to have Lodi back. Yeah, yeah. I was certainly yeah. missing Lodi. 
Uh, Saturn breaks this up by diving onto everyone, and it kind of I kind of like the spot because it shows the kind of disdain he has for the flock at this period as well, just using them as like a meat shield. Nick Patrick kicks the flock out, which to me makes no sense. There's supposed to be these like renegades that get involved and everything, and these these are supposed to be like Raven rules matches. And why would the flock listen to him? They they don't have ravens, so they're directionless. Yeah, they're they're actually just punks, you know. Uh, this let distraction lets uh, Saturn attack from behind and uh, take control of the rest of the match, though. Saturn proves why he's uh, better than Sabu, using the chair to springboard into the canyon and actually hitting it without injuring anyone. My exact notes. Yeah. Hot takes there, guys. <laughs> he hits He hits a sick drop kick off as well, not just like a random side splash. Man, Saturn had some moves. There were a lot of really sweet spots in this match. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how like how fast Canyon was. I think that hurts him by the end of the match, but the top rope Feymaster was pretty cool. Yeah, I had the same note, and the crowd are mild for it. Yeah. And this, this is why the Attitude Era was so bad. It's the fans' fault. Because they pop for the silliest shit. They pop for, like, the fucking flock coming out. But when some of these bad... When this, like, springboard missile dropkick into the corner was, they're like, yeah, I guess that's okay. Well, there's another part to it. <laughs> it's not It's not just the crowd's fault. Canyon's character is the worst, so... <laughs> It he's just new. Work. He's just not established yet. But they've done a terrible job of it as well. Like, sure. Oh he, yeah, of course. He, he's bombed several times over and over. Uh, Saturn goes for a sunset flip, and Kanye reverses it into a Northern Light suplex, which I don't think I've ever seen before. That's a really cool uh, move. Pace of the match slows a little. I think both men are actually a little gas near the they end. They are gas. Oh, yeah. they are. <laughs> when when the commentary team says, "Oh, these guys are tired," yeah, they really are. Yeah, I, I was wondering if they're handing it because Benoit does that a lot, right? He pretends to be tired, but no, I think this was a very legitimate. Okay, ne- next spot, guys. <laughs> you know, Canyon does like a springboard while tired. This is what I have noted while tired. Canyon does a spinning neck breaker out of a burning hammer position, if you guys know what I mean, or a torture rack position. And it looks sick and only it's better than most people's finish on this roster. Fucking Booker T's using missile drop kicks. We have a spinning, burning <laughs> hammer for a two-count in this mid-card match. Both men take a spill to the outside from the top rope. Both men get rolled back into the ring by uh, Mortis with uh, with no wig on. Like, the fake Mortis rolls them back in. This kind of distracts Saturn for some reason. That lets Canyon hit this, uh, the flatliner for the win. I mean, which, in fairness, I'd be confused, too, if two more people showed up yeah, dressed as Mortis. Just two Mortises with, without wigs. And then, but the, also the flatliner again, all the insane spots they do. And I have this judgment of some modern wrestlers. You do these insane spots, like burning, twisting, burning hammer, but your finisher's the flatliner. Come on. Yeah, it's the rock, give the rock bottom to yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if he ever wrestles him, he just has a strict advantage. He has two finishes. But Connor, it's the way he does the move. The way he does it. He does the little like a uh, heartbeat like with his yeah, finger. Yeah. I thought that, that was a kind of cool. cool it's nice. it, it, it's it becomes a bit of a popular finish at the time. Jeff Jarrett eventually starts doing it, which kills its popularity in its uh, in its tracks. But you know, it was popular for a bit. One of the Mortises lifts Canyon's arm in victory, but then hits the even flow DDT. It's Raven surprise surprise. It's a Mortis Raven. Post-match, Raven beats, uh, berates Saturn for losing and not doing his job, but it's Raven's fault for distracting Saturn with the Mortis costume. Raven needles Saturn until Saturn finally attacks, 
He absolutely snaps the Fox Swarm, and Raven leaves, but Saturn fights them all off with super kicks and suplexes for everyone. Like a modern indie finish. I'm going to put it out there, I have a little rant. How did Raven know there'd be another Mortis there? It's obviously difficult to get an entire Mortis costume. That's not something you can just get in store. You know what I mean? It's at the sting shop with all the sting masks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you, ha- you have to predict that, I guess he's predicted that Canyon's going to pretend to be Mortis. Do we ever figure out who the other Mortis was? Does, it, does that other Mortis just disappear? He just gets rolled out of the ring, I think. Okay. Oh, sorry, he, <laughs> he, sc- he scuffles on the outside with Raven Mortis. And the Raven Mortis lays him out. I don't remember who that was. I'm sure I'll watch. I'll see it on Nitro. Why, can't wait. Why can't the normal Mortis just be Raven? Why did there have to be two? Why couldn't it just be a reveal that the guy, like, Raven's duped him and it wasn't the guy you got to help you? It was, it was Listen, Raven. Why, are, why is the Dregs of Society stable listening to a referee? They, they spent the first two to three minutes interfering in the match. And then as soon as the ref goes, no, you can't do that. They're like, okay, yes, sir. And they leave. Keep interfering. It's, oh, it's just what well, bothers Kid, me so much. Kid, Kidman has heroin to do, in fairness. He, it was a flimsy excuse. Kidman for just has to scratch, his, scratch himself. <laughs> That's all he does. He, he has drugs to do, man. It's his gimmick. He's like, oh, no, I have to go to the back. <laughs> uh, subtle details, guys. You missed it. They had to go check on Reese for his match later on. Because <laughs> oh, Reese was not they out did. there. Very of subtle course. detail. Of course. <laughs> is that kind of like the Gandalf, like the Aslan thing where you have to kill off the most powerful character? If Reese mm. just interferes, he just like kill Canyon. So they just can't have him around. You know, it's like Poochie. Where is Reese? I don't think anyone really cares. I mean, I, I'd forgotten that Horace was in the flock uh, until he showed up on uh, pay per view. Uh, so uh, for the match itself, I'm pretty sure I creamed over this match, but it was Daniel Bryan versus Christopher Daniels in Ring of Honor uh, three years later. The, the actual match itself is great, but everything around it is either poor or nobody cares. And it just drags the whole thing really, really down. Agree. Definitely agree. I think my only critique is there's a lot of, since they're tired, they do a lot of, you know, big, sweet, cool move and then two count. Sitting. Big, sweet, cool yeah. move, two count. That's just in wrestling in general that I notice, even with like current wrestling, that really bothers me. Just the number of two counts. I think the opening match, they did that a lot too. I think Booker gets a little heavy with it. But at least the commentary kind of helps save that match because they're like, well, they don't want to overexert themselves. So they're trying to end the match like as soon as possible. But like here, it just it just seems like, oh, we're tired. We don't know what to do next. So let's just take a rest here and then do a move. So it's like a it's like a proto style of like what Austin and stuff were doing. So maybe they haven't really kicked into high gear in in WWF where it's like all the finisher battles. Mm-hmm. And like, that's kind of what they're doing, but they're just doing it with big moves as opposed to doing their finisher 15 times in a row. So they're trying to get some form of reaction from a crowd. And it, it's probably grating because nobody's reacting to it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I found. I'm like, whoa, that was sweet. I haven't like, I haven't seen something like that. And like, I think that could be integrated into kind of modern stuff, you know? And then the crowd's like, yeah. Even though that the crowd like really wasn't into it, like I'll watch this over Jarrett or Sullivan match any day. Oh, a hundred percent. As far oh, yeah. as an undercard, midcard match, yeah, totally acceptable. Uh, I'll, I'll say it. I think this is a little ahead of its time, match wise. Like I think I, I agree with you, Connor, that they don't give themselves enough rests. Like I appreciate trying to eliminate rest holds because you're coming from a generation of wrestlers that like we still have them on this card, ninety percent rest holds in some of these matches. So I appreciate what they're doing. But they've swung too far to the other extreme where you need to give yourself a break just so you can execute the moves well. Because why I enjoyed this match 
There was one or two moves that were done a bit too fast, and I don't think it was meant to be like that. I think they just got gas and like, fuck, I can't lift. Like, Perry can't be on my shoulders that long. I need to just, like, hit a neck breaker, you know? It's And I think they're in the situation where, where they're like, ah, we should probably go finish, but fuck, the boss has said we need to fill this much amount of time. So, yeah, yeah. yeah they're, I think they're fucked either way. But uh, for what for what they were given, they, they made a decent out and out of all this. And I'm I'm looking forward to seeing, like, what, what where Canyon goes from here because I have not seen much of his work. So after seeing this match, I'm very interested to see how um, his matches are for yeah, maybe we'll do the triple cage match at some stage. Nope. <laughs> nope. Just do give that a whole episode of its own. That was that was a swift shutdown. I like it. No. Nope. <laughs> I, I no. insist if we do it, we all also watch Ready to Rumble. Well, it's lucky for you, we're not going to do it, so Yeah. Maybe maybe I can be chorus in doing that. I would have to be drinking. <laughs> I haven't drank on an episode in like at least six episodes by now, so I, I might have to c- bring it back. Okay, you've heard of fans. If you want to see, watch us see Ready to Rumble and then the corresponding pay-per-view that's based on that movie, please let us know. <laughs> Next match, two also kind of uh, all-stars. Again, the mid-card of this, uh, this company is looking more and more just like a Hall of Fame. We get another uh, archive or another leaf in the story of Chris Jericho and Dean Malenko. And we've seen and followed this uh, feud and we've been really excited about it. We just uh, passed the unmasking kind of part of the feud and the Dean return. And now Chris is really being a grade A pissant, just like perfect whining and moaning and insisting he never lost a title and finding like rules that mean that like he never actually lost it because he never agreed to defend it. His dad comes that uh, comes to the ring, the the hockey player, and gives out that he's being a little bitch. It's like <laughs> fan, it's fantastic, and eventually Dean just gives in and technically gives up the title, uh, so he can have a match, and uh, that's what happens. Uh, JJ Dillon makes the match official. official. Uh, what do you guys think of the the build up to this, and is it kind of living up to the momentous moment that happened before? So yeah, you 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 got most of it there. Yeah, uh, missed the Library of Congress part. Yeah, yeah you missed the Library oh, of Congress, of which is top tier. He goes, they do vignettes where he walks around. He walks in front of the White House. Uh, and then he goes to the Library of Congress and finds the old NWA rule book. And I think it's the Lou Strangler rule. He comes back with that the champion has the right of refusal. And so he was never given the right of refusal to wrestle Dean in the Battle Royale because it wasn't Dean. And he's like, therefore, I shouldn't have lost the title because I could have said I don't want to wrestle Dean Malenko, who was masquerading as Cyclope. He brings a sign with him around a lot. He's the conspiracy victim. Early on in the month, he also wrestles a lot of the guys in the Battle Royale and basically just beats all the other people. So he's like, I'm better than all of these people. I'll get my way back to it. But he's other than that, yeah, he's just being a whiny bitch constantly. <laughs> So, so yeah, when I, I, I watched the pay-per-view first with like no research or whatever, and I thought, oh, Dean just kind of gave up the belt. That kind of seems lame. Like it, it just seemed kind of shallow the way they described it. And but after doing like the research and realizing, oh, this, those awesome segments were the build up to this made the decision just even better. And it just makes me realize, uh, yeah, you could have put together a nice promo package and just instead of uh, throwing up a lazy thunder recap. And in the recap, you see somebody walk out at the end and Tony's like, oh, yeah, that was Chris's dad. I'm like, what? What was he doing there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, oh, yeah, by the way. And you're <laughs> like, wait, what? 
the, the production decisions are oh you, you don't get me unreal. started on the, the, the movie segment i have a lot to oh, say about that one. Oh, we're gonna get we're nearly there <laughs> <laughs> just before you start dave i want to point out this is for the title technically neither of them has the title at the moment yeah which seems a weird wrinkle the way they explained it i thought chris was champion but was obligated to have a first defense but I guess that means, like, logically, Chris could just get himself DQ'd and ignore memoir. Like, uh, ignore there the- is a good moment where he's like, Dean's like, the only way I'm going to get this match is if I give up the belt and they can wrestle for the belt. And Jericho's like, finally, I get the belt back. This is amazing. Put it around my waist. And he, he has some brilliant moments with Dylan where he, again, kind of like Raven, where he veers from super, super nice and saccharine to JJ Dylan and then completely ruins him on live television constantly and it's it's wonderful so he's like give it on me jj this is the best moment of my life and he's like i never said you were getting the belt <laughs> and he's like oh oh yeah and that's like perfect back and forth week to week stuff that you can do so this was yeah. a great great time to stretch stretch out the feud and yeah perfect time that you know jericho just can't cheat in this so yeah the stakes are even higher for this match so really really fun anticipation come, going into it yeah, I think a lot of this is why I asked you guys is living up and maybe even surpassing some of the stuff we saw previously, but you're always going to remember the Psycho Bay moment. The match itself, very audible. Uh, Jericho sucks chance from the crowd. Uh, whatever you think of uh, either man in this uh, feud, Jericho's really getting himself the heat every week, you know, week in, week out. Both men starting hot and uh, foregoing the normal chain wrestling starts we're used to from them. Dean is clobbering and beating Jericho, ignoring the ref multiple times and having to be dragged off by the ref. And this makes a lot of sense. We had a bit of a bit of criticism before that this what these guys weren't hot enough for like the blood feud that it is. Saying that beyond the start, the match starts to get a little flat and poorly timed. And I'm starting to think while Dean and Jericho are individually great wrestlers, I'm enjoying their feud. They actually don't always gel that well together in the ring. The, the pacing becomes slower after a fiery start, and uh, nothing the two men are doing to me is that exciting or new, and it doesn't have as much passion as I thought the the like beginning of it or the feud could have entailed. Jericho starts to really start clowning in the middle of the match when he has more control. It's fun and great for his character, but maybe doesn't make too much sense in a match where he's been like desperate for the title. like He's absolutely scrounging for it, and all of a sudden he's kind of back into clown mode. Like he's been doing running through some of the like mid card guys he's been running through. I mean, to be fair, he's not been desperate for the title. He doesn't feel he he ever lost it. That's a good it, point. It's a yeah. different approach to it, I think. Maybe more he thinks he can beat Dina kind of straight up. Oh yeah, he's incredibly arrogant. I love I love how Tony complains when Jericho does the cocky pin. Tony's like, That has never worked, never will. Come on. <laughs> They're so annoyed with Jericho, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> Both men are setting up for a top rope gut buster. Jericho reverses it into a Franken-Steiner, uh, which I really liked. Both men are a little... I noticed this, and like obviously you, you want people working safe, but they're a little uh, soft with their punches up top. Maybe the camera's man fault as well, but some of them are just complete whiffs. They just completely missed the mark. After some reversals, both men tried signature submissions. Both men just about claw the ropes and really ham it up. Jericho uh, paintbrushes Dean, and while he... Uh, He's down, uh, shouts in Malenko's face, you're nothing like your father. This makes Dean snap, and all of a sudden there's a complete oh, 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 different... You missed a key word in there, like your dead father. Oh my yeah. god, yes, like your dead yeah, yeah. father. 
This makes Dean snap and just jumps on Jericho, trouncing him and rolling him to the outside. Michael grabs a chair and hits <laughs> the worst two chair shots. <laughs> Weakest chair shot ever, man. It's so, like, I am being a bit critical of them in this match, and maybe that's because I think they're for more. But all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, they've lulled me into a false sense of security by being a little soft here, and they're about to pop off with this, like, your dead dad moment. And then he barely touches him with the, like <laughs> Briscoe hit a better one on Austin. Like my, yeah, it's just my notes say Dean is so angry he can't use a chair correctly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he grabs it from the wrong side. So yeah, when he's like, "All right, I'm gonna give him a chair shot," and then it's like, "Oh crap, it's the wrong side. I don't want him with the legs." And then eh, yeah, ding. yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's like, "I can fuck him up real bad with the legs here. Let's not just swing at him with it. It's it's weird." The brawl to the back and to the outside, just Dean pulls Jericho all through the arena. I can tell Dean's not used to this style of wrestling, though, because he doesn't stop to hit him that much or throw him against that many things. He kind of just drags him out of the arena. And it's it's not a short walk. He goes all the way to the outside, and uh, Jericho wanders into traffic. And at this point, yeah, almost gets hit. Jericho's just like wandering like Bigfoot, just off into the distance. And security (laughs) very wisely stopped Dean from trying to cross the road after him. Kind of weird way to end it. I like Dean snapping. It's a shame about the chair shots. I'm never going to advocate dangerous chair shots, but it's a shame that got botched a bit because it does kill the intensity uh, a little. But what do you guys think of this match? It sounds like you're a bit higher than me on it. Well, I'll agree. I, I thought like the middle part w- w- like was pretty boring and definitely lacked the intensity like the in the beginning. But I thought it really kicked into gear, particularly when they both landed their submission moves. Like I thought Dean like powering out of the the line tamer showed like he he was showing that like that passion from the previous match. Like he was mm-hmm. just like really like he was just stomping his like his his forearms on the ground just to like power through to the ropes. So I, I thought. The feud maybe lost like a little bit of the magic, but I the, they really reached another gear and won over the crowd particularly. Um, yeah, the, the, some of the walking brawl was like a little awkward, but I thought it was pretty entertaining. It was just something different, and I thought it was pretty comical. The, the whole Jericho going in like some building across yeah. the street, so uh, very memorable. I, I I really dug it. I, I think they had a lot of great ideas, like like you pointed out there. But yeah, maybe maybe I'm talking about the match differently if they don't botch the chair shot or Dean's a little more vicious backstage. What, what did you think us? No, I, I particularly enjoyed it. Yeah, the middle of it probably is a little bit settled, I guess, where they kind of lose track of where they're going. But like Connor said, I particularly like the submission spots. The big problem for me is obviously the ending and the result. Do they explain it there and then or do they wait till later in the night? I can't remember. I now. think they do it later on announcing because I think our brain's like, we don't know what who's won or whatever. I'm just kind of annoyed because somebody wins a title on a DQ and the reason they have the match is it, like they basically take the belts away from them so that Jericho can't win by DQ. It's almost like like if he wants that belt, he has to win a fair and square and he still, it just, it just bothers me, but that's just from a logical standpoint. Like it, it felt like this would have also been a nice natural end to this feud, which has been a long feud and I don't mind long feuds, but I thought this was a perfect show of character for Dean as a, you know, I'm sick of this punk. I'm going to put him in his place. It's perfect shithousery by Jericho to get into this place. This was a good stop for me. And now I'm not as excited to see how it continues. But I, I like they're both still fantastic wrestlers. I am being a little picky just because I expect so much out of them. We got a second uh, segment from the Internet Nerds. Absolute treat for the podcast today. 
and Eddie is so good. He's crying and he's saying he doesn't want to fight Chavo, that they're family. He's begging him. He loves Chavo. He's ignoring the questions uh, from Lee. Perfect Eddie moment. Uh, after this, uh, vignette of Hoovy, the beautiful bastard, is just wandering around being beautiful. And that's just the whole thing. He's like in a boy band setting. And it, it ends without a word. Just Hoovy fucking smoldering for the entire thing. Why? Who is this for? Uh, yeah so, so can i can i can I take this one i'll yeah. go ahead yeah all right so this thing well whatever it was here's what i think it is it's a short film so there's no dialogue there's no voiceover you know it has the spanish guitar with nylon strings you know sounds sounds nice but it has background sound effects so like water and stuff and it has fucking foley work <laughs> they did actual post-production sound on the work on this thing. <laughs> and then they finally cap it off with like the cliche style <sighs> tripod shot where the subject jumps around and stuff like that. And like yeah. my only guess was like this was like some kind of film students like thesis project and WCW is like, yeah, let's use it to fill time. They'll get them. <laughs> It's like when Crusty the Crown like watches the Eastern European cat and mouse team thing, uh, Worker and Parasite, and it's like, yeah. what the hell is that? <laughs> <What the hell's laughs> that? <laughs> so WCW, if you refuse to do your typical promo package, you know, like WWF, you want to be different, fine. But at least like add some voiceover. Tell me something about Hoovy. <laughs> Put subtitles in. Something. This I don't know what this is. The fade-ins and outs really reek of college projects for me. Right. Yeah. So to describe what Foley work is, it's it's you add like sounds like footsteps and like rustling noises. It's like you have to pay somebody to do that. You have to add that into it. You have to sync it up with the footage. So somebody actually spent time on this. I I feel that they were like Ray's injured. Let's push Guerrero. And then halfway through, they found out Ray was going to be back soon. So they're like, oh. Stop production of that video. But we're halfway through. I take it all back. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah, we need to add subtitles and we're, we're going to have them do a voiceover. I said, what? stop production of that video. <laughs> I, I guess I'm extra, I'm extra pissed too because speaking of Ray, they did something like this. They did a piece where they're like, all right, we're going to show Ray Mysterio like where he grew up and things oh, like that. remember that, yeah. <laughs> but that was like a good segment because it's like, all right, here are his like, troubled beginnings and it's just like where he came from and why the mask yeah. matters to him this is just it doesn't say anything about him when you look at those two in in contrast it's like oh I, I uh. when it started because i think it's supposed to be like mexican kind of countryside yeah like i said the the nylon strings yeah, yeah i so you get that vibe it's a good setup all right i'm in i thought it was going to be zorro-esque you know the fucking uh, antonio banderas zorro i thought mm-hmm. it was gonna be something like that that would have been around this time as well right It'd be a bit after I this. I challenge you to a duel. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. I thought they were going to lean into that and he was going to be like a Mexican underdog hero. Nah, just like half a video that, as you said, seems not inexpensive. Un- I guess anything is just cheap compared to what you're doing for Hall and Nash and Hogan Dave, at any yeah, time. July, July 98. Spot yeah. on. Ooh, ooh, red hot. <laughs> I love that oh, movie. Wow. <laughs> So that's what I thought they were doing. Let's, right? let's not let's not try and say that WCW had their finger on the pulse here now. No, no yeah. <laughs> but I thought even you know WB do sometimes like oh a type of movie is being released. We better do stuff that's like that genre. Mm. But yeah, they just stopped halfway through. From having watched the shows, my best guess is that they're trying to do him as a babyface, an attractive babyface to women. So attractive. So so attractive. I am guessing it's meant to be a romantic interlude type feel to it 
but it's just it's just nonsense because there's no dialogue. I I don't understand how anybody could think that would work without dialogue because you need to get something across to the people watching it. But I mean, it's more interesting than the match, so I can keep talking about this. <sighs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> shall we? Shall we? Yeah. So the match is against uh, also two future Hall of Famers, obviously, and who who dude Guerrero and Reese. Uh, this has continued. Reese has kind of been bullying. It's kind of classic, just small guy, big guy stuff. But they're really leaning into it. So one of the things they say, uh, that uh, one of the very noticeable things here is Reese, when he comes out, is followed by Lodi, who has a sign that says, Reese is tall and Hoovy is small. And he's dancing around Reese like Nelson once, just pointing at how tall he is. What do they love Nelson? It's <laughs> <That's> exactly that. <laughs> yeah, maybe I did miss Lodi. <laughs> Uh, UV uh, prays before he starts. I like which, that. That was a good touch. Which is fantastic, and what he should do. This man is genuinely seven foot tall. His his energy is great. Again, like we we brought up how we really hated the the unmasking, but he's actually done pretty well since then. We've joked about this before. I, oh, I've joked about this before, but like as Matt, I don't like the unmasking, but he is ridiculously handsome and. No offense to Rey Mysterio, who isn't an ugly man, but he doesn't have the best look when they unmask him later. I think it helps, too, that we've, we've mentioned Hoovy is kind of like Rey's character, so it helps that Rey Mysterio isn't around at this yes. point. Yes. He's about to come back, so I think Hoovy, uh, it'll be interesting to see how he does once Rey comes back next month. Yeah, yeah, it, it is strange. They haven't tried to differentiate them more. Again, maybe that video was their attempt to. Like, this is the good-looking Rey, and that's the other Rey. You know, it's... I don't know. Hoovy has hair. He he does a, the great headbang. He does he does the great head headbang. Uh, yeah, I never got why he needed the. He has more hair on the mask, right? But I guess yeah. Anyway, <laughs> after being manhandled around the ring a bit, Hoovy goads uh, Reese to come outside. He runs around, and uh, when Reese tries to get back into into the ring, Hoovy slings shots the outside, showing a bit more uh, cleverness, the clever face. But Reese catches him in midair and just slams him into the ring post. He then gorilla presses him into the ring, which is scary, scary feat of strength. Back in the ring, Yuvi uh, doesn't give up and chops and kicks at the leg, referring to trying to take the big man off his feet. He jumps onto Reese's back and tries to choke him out. That has never worked. He even claws at the face, which I think is a nice desperate, like, get the guy down kind of feel to it. But Reese just falls back, not onto the canvas that has a bit of give. He launches himself into the turnbuckle and it looks brutal. Out of nowhere, Yuvi just kicks Reese in the nuts twice. The refer- <laughs> and the referee's like, yeah, that's the- I'll allow it. Just need that sound effect. Ding. Ding. <laughs> just like in a video game. This almost gives Yuvi a chance, but a punch puts an end to it, a single punch. Reese is refusing to ping Yuvi and makes a ref count. But Yuvi gets up a 10, making him look, you know, resilient. Reese tries to use a chair, but the ref breaks up. Not sure why the giant that is murdering the little guy needs a chair. Lodi argues with the ref about this for no reason. It's like, why can't he use the chair? Well, because it's a wrestling match, fellas. That's just not... Oh, Lodi oh, argues right. with the ref about this for no reason whatsoever. This lets Van Hammer sneak up on Reese while uh, Reese has Hoovy up on his shoulders, and he hits him in the back with a chair. Hoovy follows this up with a Hurricane Rana, a bump that Reese has never taken before in his life, and it very much shows. And hooks the reg for a surprise tree count. Not only a surprise tree count because of the win, but also a surprise because I forgot Van Hammer was also feuding with the big members of the frock with Reese. Feud is a very strong word for that. 
we'll recap that quickly while he's now. He's been like kicked out of the the flock now, and he's taking it out. Yeah, of race. So is that correct? You remember when they had the match of to see if him or Perry got to stay in the flock? So then he won, and then they changed their minds because they obviously wanted Perry to stay, and they all turned on him. And he's just been like interfering in flock matches ever since. There's a tag match at one point with Van Hammer and Hoovy against maybe Reese and another guy. I can't remember who who they wrestle. So he's been around, like he's been interfering. And I, I to be honest, I was surprised he didn't interfere in the Canyon match as well. I was going to say both these gimmicks are very Canyon esque, but one of them is with the leader of the flock, and one of them is with but, Reese. But that's all he does. He, I, I don't think he's wrestled on the shows by himself, pretty much. Post-match, we get a very funny scene where Yuvi bails from the ring to not get beat up some more and just fully jumps into Van Hammer's arms. I expected a romantic music to play. Maybe this is what the vignette was about. But Van Hammer might as well have carried him out, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's a, a love letter to Van Hammer, yeah? Yeah, that's what it was at the start. Like, Van Hammer, oh, come okay. rescue me. It must have been because, thankfully, the uh, you know the replay section they always do after the match they didn't you know, show any moves. It was just a replay of that celebration going into his arms. <laughs> it was great. He just, yeah, it's a, like, I love that UV uses like his full power. He just leaps. And Van Hammer effortlessly catches him. They should have been tag team champions, is all I'm saying. Exactly. I think if you wanted to get Hoovy over like Ray was before Ray was injured, Reese is probably not the best. This match was a little entertaining and showed some character from Hoovy, but not not something I was a big fan of. What about you guys? I think Reese is perfectly cromulent uh, as a big man. Like he's he's pretty <laughs> yeah. good, but this is not how you get a babyface over for me anyway. With the with the ending, the ending is dire. I don't know. Well, yeah, he needed to win by himself. Yeah, at least it needed to be a bit removed from the interference. Like a lot, I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of times when babyface like this get over. I think Eddie is probably a good example when they use the weapon or when they like even the odds. There's still a kick out, and then the babyface wins later. To maybe you maybe forget he got so much help, right? Or just like chair shot, and then Hoovy gets to do the four fifty into the win. Yeah, it's also yeah, it's a little bit of a lame because Reese like kicked up a tree. You know what I mean? It was like. Well, it also, beat him up. It, yeah, it was the shittiest Hurricane Rana of all time as well. Reese cannot take the bump. He has never yeah, taken I mean, a Hurricane Rana. It's just the size different makes it impossible yeah. for them I to mean, do it. Like the dude's so he, big, like he can do a forward flip. Come on, no, this guy's the Yeti. Yeti. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> nah, like he, he shouldn't be taking that bump. It's just the size is too big. No, just have him go down and hit the four fifty. It's such a perfect setup as well. Like. It's yeah, as Connor said, like there was there was a very easy finish to make Hoovy still look like at least his, everyone at least wants to see his finish, right? Yeah, his finish is sweet. His finish, is, especially at the time, there's not many people doing four fifties in the world. It's sweet. I have boring pay per view match should be a nitro match. Went on just a little too long. Yeah, yeah. My other note is that this this is really exciting, guys. Uh, this is the last we see of Reese. He uh, soon uh, gets fed to Goldberg, and he has his last WCW match before mm-hmm. our next episode. So he's done. Is- is he in the oddities after this, or is that is the oddities no, already? No, he's gone? like he's done with wrestling. I think. Oh yeah, I think. he he does oh. indies instead, Dave. He he's not in the oddities. Who's the really big guy in the oddities? I always thought it was Reese. I mean, there's several big guys. Yeah, I can't remember. Ker- are you talking about Kurgan or are you talking about uh, Kurgan? I'm thinking of Kurgan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Kurgan's yeah, way better than Reese. Yeah, he, he goes to <laughs> he goes really. to turnbuck uh, turnbuckle championship wrestling after this. You guys are absolutely right. We'll, we'll we'll always remember him for humping uh, Hulk Hogan, but uh, 
Yeah, he's a more like he he wasn't that uh, in the wrestling industry that long, but uh, he's got a he's been immortalized in a lot more gifts than any other wrestler, you know, than any other average wrestler. <sighs> I will not miss him, nope. not one bit. He's solely there, kind of just for Goldberg. It seems, or he, I'm pretty sure he's already been a part of this gimmick. Where I think Lex had al- has already racked him. That, that's your only job. I would say it's a little bit of a shame because he's a big guy, but he's a no- he's a normal shape. Like it's not easy to be that big and freakishly muscular. You know what I mean? Like you'll see a lot of uh, NBA athletes, even like that, maybe skinnier than he is, but they're not like super muscular but that's not what this world this world wants they want giant as he is now pretty muscular or they want goldberg so they so like he does kind of have a bad bod compared to everyone else on the show and that is i guess a little off-putting when you're fighting actual superheroes week in week out not the body shame reese that much <laughs> <laughs> on to a next match which has maybe two better wrestlers in it i don't know that's up for the audience to decide not for me it's chavo versus eddie and this, this feud has been bringing us a lot of joy here on the cast. And it's just a continuation of that. Chavo has finally snapped. He's crazed. He's coming for Eddie. And Eddie, as we saw in the internet position, is uh, playing on the family card. How's this been playing out on the, on the Thunders, uh, Gus? So it's just like the flip of what we've seen. So in the previous build-ups, Eddie would come out and he would make Chavo wrestle his match for him because it's tough love or whatever. So like early on, Eddie comes out for a match and Chavo comes to ring and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get this over with. You go on. I'll wrestle for you. Don't worry about it. And he's like, no, wait, what? <laughs> so it's just uh, Chavo constantly chasing after Eddie. He's being super weird. He'll be like majorly intense or really, really nice. And he'll go back and forth. He can't stop telling Eddie he loves him and that he's the best. He's the best Guerrero, which is obviously completely freaked out Eddie. And he's tried to get to not have to have this match but yeah other than that it's been pretty good like there's been solid matches and lots more of eddie being eddie uh even still and chavo has just become a complete fruit loop i i have uh he comes out with frenetic energy i think that's a good way to describe that, like, that's a fantastic yeah, way yeah. to describe him yeah yeah uh, eddie as well playing uh hamming it up coming to the ring playing that he doesn't want to fight familia their family eddie's trying to shake his hand before the match and tell Chavo, there's no way he's going to fight him. He loves him like a brother. A slap and shouting from Chavo, and then he changes his mind in a heartbeat, and both men lay into each other like this probably feud deserves. This is the energy we wanted, I think, out of the mid of the jericho Malenko match, but these guys are doing it great, just tearing trunks into each other. Chavo gives Eddie the business until Eddie feigns walking away when Chavo chases after him back to, to get him back to the ring. Eddie cuts him off, and the match is ground down from there with Eddie taking control and taunting Chavo. Chavo throws in some nice lucha-type moves while keeping up a, a very personal feeling of a match. I think some of the kind of lucha matches on the cards can turn into kind of turmoil where this is still feeling very grounded and uh, and personal. Eddie, after a brain buster, stands over Chavo, shouting in his face. Uh, this heats Chavo up, and uh, he chokes Eddie from the bottom, power chokes Eddie, <laughs> until he's broken up by the ref. <laughs> One thing I have to bring up, though, that really bothered or it didn't bother me. It was very distracting in the beginning of the match because commentators actually properly point this out because it was right in front of the camera that Eddie gets like a giant gash on his shoulder. Yeah, like, oh, yeah I think yeah. it scratches it on the ring post or something like that. And you yeah, can just see does. it like just get redder and bleed more and more as the match goes on. It, like Eddie's obviously in pen. So like it get, it, 
they needed a few minutes to kind of like get over that pain because you could tell Eddie was like, "Yeah, this is this is yeah, really painful sucks. here." <laughs> yeah, you can see you can see when he hits, he's like, "Fuck that, that, that hurts." Yeah, it had to be, happened to be right in front of the cameraman, so I was like, "Oh, there's no way hiding this one." Yeah, I like I kind of like that they show it over and over again. I obviously with some injuries you can't, but with something that's only like skin deep like that, it's it's nice to have it up. Look, wrestling Israel, he got caught. When Chavo moves the, uh, the ref after Eddie like hides behind him on his knees, Eddie uh, punishes uh, Chavo's knee and starts to focus on it with the gory special on a figure four. I love that they always bring up the gory special as uh, their dad, Gory Guerrero. I'm like, yeah, you don't you don't have to bring it up every time, Mike. Today we get it. You know a lot about wrestling. Even though the match uh, the match is good, fans chant for both Flair and Goldberg. Did you guys notice this? I heard the that's, Flair one. Yeah, that's odd. Yeah. Uh, maybe I guess if he did the figure, the figure four. four. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. guess, but yeah, I, I guess also flares and like outs with the company at the moment. There's probably some dirt sheet stuff going on. That, uh, also, most bothersome about the whole thing is that that was the bigger pop. They were chanting for Flair and Goldberg and not the match itself. Yeah, the match, I think the match is excellent, but we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Both men look for their finishes with Eddie missing with a frog splash and Eddie throwing Chavo out, uh, out of the ring when he goes for the Tornado DDT. Getting back into the ring, though, Chavo springboards back in and hits the Tornado DDT midair, which I thought looked phenomenal for the tree count. And Chavo gets one over Eddie. Very natural progression to this feud. Very natural, uh, I want to say ending, but maybe they'll continue it on to the Nitros. You never know. And a match that I, I think I thoroughly loved, like a perfect kind of blend to me of the American style and the Lucha style and a feud that kind of made sense. What do you guys think? Fantastic. It was great. Uh, not sure why the crowd couldn't care less. Uh, the main thing I did like about it was there were very few pin attempts, maybe one or two, I think. It was the stark contrast yeah. between the Booker matches on the card. So, yeah, good stuff. Yep, I really enjoyed it. WCW have only themselves to blame for the crowd when I think about it because you're not told to care about all the other mooks, just the NWO stuff. So that's why they're not they're not chanting, really. But which suffers... Like it is harder to get into matches like this when nobody cares about what's going on. It's a shame because this is a good storyline. It's it's over on like the Nitros and Thunders, so it was just this. This yeah. seemed just like a one off that the crowd just didn't care that I, much either. I was about to say it's also been over on the last couple pay per views we've had. People have hated Eddie, and people hated Eddie when he fought Dean, and people Chavo seems to have been getting over on the other pay per views. So I think this is just a freak coincidence. Yeah, WCW have no one but themselves to blame. Uh, Goldberg is so over. It's like the Goldberg match is obviously coming up close. The fans are eager to see him. And you hear that. Like from the start, we commented that there's definitely Goldberg chance. So we get our sixth match of the night and uh, double duty again for Booker T. He's making a habit of it, being the Iron Man against the current uh, TV champion, Fit Finley, which again, still feels weird to see him in this, this kind of timeline. I kind of forgot he was here at the stage. Booker kind of uh, playing up that he's uh, that he's injured, but he's not taking a page out of DDP's book and having the wrapping around him. It's a shame, Booker. You could have really got some free heat that way. Nice brawling fight uh, by both men, really playing into Finley's kind of style of things and really playing into Booker being worn out and not being able to take this kind of altercation. Finley grinds out Booker and makes it look convincing like he always does. Uh, what I like about Finley's rest holds, we were talking about maybe some of them, uh, the Kanye match not having enough of them, is they're never static. The guy's never just holding a chin lock. He's always moving. He's making them interesting. He's shouting at the fans. He's shouting at Booker. While the moves let him rest a bit, he's 
he's never static. Do you think I'm looking a bit too much into that, or do you guys ever find Simon Finlay matches? I don't think I've watched enough of Finlay to, to say otherwise. Um, but I thought, yeah, I thought it was effective here. Lots of targeting the knee. It was just kind of a very old school, slow it way down. Yep. I think Booker just can't handle the the full speed for another match. No. Yeah. Also, it makes my job a little hard here. I want to pick out spots, but I can't. They're all rest holds. They're all <laughs> weird holds on the knee. It, it makes it sound like a worse match than it is. It was a decent match, in my opinion. But I can't describe the seven different ways he put on a knee bar, to be honest. I mean, again, the crowd is not interested at all, so that doesn't help either. No, they can sense what's coming, though. But, you know, Booker T's comeback is cut off by a huge lariat, though. But both men uh, botch the reversing of the tombstone spot, unfortunately, which takes this match down a lot of knots. It looks awful, and they just keep trying to do it. When it falls, they're not just like, let go, do something else. Booker tries to essentially deadlift Finley into a tombstone position, which is just never going to happen, and they just kind of flop to the floor. But after Finley misses with a spear in the corner, Booker hits the most dangerous-looking uh, pile driver I've ever seen in my fucking life. I don't know how Finley's still moving to end the match. They, he then celebrates with his former or current, I guess, tag team partner, Stevie Ray. This match is probably better than it sounds because I'm describing some rest holds and two botches, but the botches do bring the match down a lot. What do you expect from this match? Because fit kind of just like Canyon just isn't established right. Yeah. He's functional. Although the right guy won again, it, it, but it's not as cool this time. Like I said, it's just it's the same booking as as the February pay per view. So it's yeah. I, I think if they don't butch those uh, butcher those last two spots, it's actually a fine match. Maybe like three three out of five stars. But other than that, yeah, it's just how, how could I be excited about this after seeing the good match that's Booker and Chris into what's a lot more boring and then botched match, which is Booker and Finley. And as, as Gus said, we don't even, uh, sorry, as you said, we don't even know Finley. Like this is the second time we've seen him on a pay-per-view, but even if you're watching the, like the Thunders and stuff, he had some fuse with the title, but not, not anything outstanding or notable compared to what other people are doing at the time. He hasn't done anything. He's wrestled some matches and that's it. You don't know what his character yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I think it's similar to what, Prince Ikea, basically. Oh, look, mm. this guy's winning a couple matches. Very good comparison, actually. Yeah, yeah it's, they're basically retreading it. And going back to Booker, I just kind of wish maybe they would just use a different finishing move for him because, like, he does the excellent, like, you know, scissors kick. Kind of wish that would end the match. Or, or the Harlem hangover. hangover doesn't really do that yeah. anymore. It's funny that he exchanged the hangover, which is a dangerous move. Like, it's hard to get right. Right. Finish. I'm sure that's why he stopped doing it. But I, it's funny that he exchanged it for a missile drop kick. Because they're both top rope moves, you know what I mean? Not, not that the missile drop kick is dangerous, but they're both top rope moves and one looks way less effective. It's just that he already has lots of moves that he could use as a finish. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, really nothing wrong with this match. I, I, I was, It was fine, but I'm like, I don't want to watch it again, really. Again, could have been a Nitro match and nobody yeah, would be any the yeah. wiser. Would have made way more sense as well to be like winner in this pay-per-view of this like epic battle gets to go on to Nitro because it's the TV championship. We're going to defend it on TV. You know, I, I don't know. Now, on to maybe the opposite of someone wrestling too much in one night. We got what the crowd has wanted all night, and we got Goldberg versus Conan with Hennig and Rude, all of them Wolfpack members at the moment. And this story is about Hennig giving Goldberg the runaround. Hennig being next uh, in line for a match and kind of feuding with Goldberg, and Hennig uh, getting injured, or you can't see, but I'm making big inverted comma marks with my fingers, getting injured. And convincing Conan to step up and take the shot at Goldberg. 
which uh, this would be Goldberg's, as Gus pointed out, 100 victory if he wins. Yeah, I mean, this is fairly obvious what's going to happen, judging by the build-up. Hennig talks a big game, and then about two, three weeks out, he's like, oh, I've tweaked my knee, but don't worry, I'll be fine for the pay-per-view. And so he's supposed to have a match, and he's like, oh, Conan, sorry, K-Dog, because he's hip <laughs> with the crowd. K-Dog, can you come out? Can you wrestle for me? Can you do this thing? And like K-Dog is being super nice, super cool. With He's like, yeah, no problem, Holmes. Viva la raza. Orale. I'll do it for you. And then we'll have some beers later. Viva la raza. Orale. This happens several times. If he delivered the lines like that, I'd enjoy him so much I mean, more. it's not far <laughs> off. Uh, he, no, I, just, um, I just like Gus delivery. <laughs> <laughs> he, so then closer, he Henning is like, uh, it looks like I can't do it. But I've got my good friend K-Dog to, to wrestle for me. K-Dog comes out. He accepts. He says he'll wrestle Goldberg. And yeah, it's just a whole, just Hennig and Rude getting promo time every week, being themselves, not fitting in with the Wolfpack at all. They're never, they're never in group promos either. If you didn't know what was going on before that, I mean, you're definitely not watching and paying close attention. Uh, I also saw a sign that's so of the times. It's so funny. And it's Super Cow from Cow and Chicken, the not Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network cartoon. And it says Super Cow versus Goldberg. Okay. All right. right. (laughs) Sure. I love Cartoon Network as much as the next person. (laughs) We we are told the record stands at 99-0 and Conan is the 100. How effing lame. Conan tries to tie up with Goldberg, (laughs) but he just gets thrown across the ring and he rolls straight out. He looks surprised. You look surprised that Goldberg, the man that's been like jackhammering giants, can do this to Conan, <laughs> which I love, which is perfect for his character, in fairness. They botched the ankle lock roll through, which is a move I like from Goldberg. Uh, Conan gets a few punches in, but he's speared and jackhammered, and then he that gets spear was out. awful. Yeah. I think this is also Boatman's fault. Conan is not doing anything for his offense i think right. it's conan's fault that the roll through ankle lock gets botched as well but of uh, course like goldberg does not uh, have to do anything about he it. he rarely right? gets that spot right so i don't okay I don't that's fair, that's it, fair. yeah yeah but you could tell that conan he not he wanted none of the of yeah the he didn't help so. for sure no. yeah no no uh, you gotta save your ribs like he is apparently he's already getting a reputation ddd talks about it later he spears people way too hard well, no. yeah, he, uh, the the Laparka match happened, so he. I bet he talked to his buddy Laparka like, "Yo, dude, he hurt me. Don't don't let him spear you too hard." Oh yeah, 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 I got the you. match is great. Uh, it is no, it is yeah. great. I've I've watched that three or four times. Yeah. It never gets old. Post match, Hennig and Rude beat the shit out of Conan. <laughs> I love Rude's punches so much. He's such a cartoon character. They're the best. So fantastic. They're so good. It's exactly how I think a wrestler should punch. People should do classes on it. Hennig pulls off the red, uh, the red NWO T-shirt, and the white and black are underneath. Oh, the first turn of the yeah. two of the two week old fucking stable. It was really blatantly obvious he was wearing two shirts as well when he comes out because he's. It's like, why is that shirt so bad? Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, mm. I, I would love if they mind fucked with people and like underneath the red and red and black. Was another red and black. I'm actually fine. <laughs> no, he's created a sub faction in the Wolfpack. 
<laughs> I think they've 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 ran the gimmick of the trench coat too many times. So sometimes they're like, ah, oh, let's just do the double shirt. The double, the old double shirt. Mm. I, I love this era of wrestling. I, it's so in in the grand scheme of things. To be honest, this makes sense because the two of them oh, yeah. really didn't fit in the group. I don't know yes. why they were in it to begin with. I was confused last episode. I'm like, this doesn't. I thought yeah. he was in the other group. They're, they're also so perfect for Hollywood, right? It's not only they're bad yeah. in this group, they make perfect sense in the Hollywood group. In, in particular, since since Buff Bagwell's hurt, we need somebody that's like the perfect like step down from Hogan. Because now it's just Hogan and then a bunch of mooks. Yeah, so like, yeah. You, you need, need somebody in between. In between. Yeah. Buff was like perfect for that. Although Steiner kind of fits that bill, but yeah. yeah but he, but he basically wasn't be- around. So right. oh, there you go. Yeah. And you get that nice feeling with Hennig, and he doesn't hear you want Hennig to get hurt. You're like Fuck you, man. You can't avoid the baby face all the time. He's like, but you, yeah, you well, want to yes, keep Scott strong. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you still want to keep the other strong and he gets to weasel out. And when he gets caught by the face, he sells like, like any of them, like his actual matches mightn't be that good anymore, but his selling is still pretty good from what the little bits I've seen. So that seems perfect for a Hollywood crony. And I guess they set this up just so they could turn on them and have a surprise end. Does anyone care about this though? No. <laughs> no, they're just fulfilling the story that's really it yeah this makes Hennig look good anyway if they want to make him look strong he duped the NWO he didn't get jackhammered he made his point in the National Luger left making the save for a poor K-Dog glorious 90s vignette after this for Bash at the Beach including Nash with a surfboard asking if we ever go uh, if we've ever went skinny dipping with a shark no not on purpose that's not something people do I'm very disappointed that John Tanta wasn't in this video. Oh my goodness. <laughs> He's probably still under contract. They're probably yeah. still paying him, like, so <laughs> so why not? I think he's in WWF now, but uh, he's in the oddities anyway. I know he I, I don't know if they've started yet though. Uh May. So yeah. Right around this time he actually is he's there. So the, his one calling in like being part of this nineties vignette. I mean, he probably did it like two years ago or something, so I, I, doubt, <laughs> I doubt they missed the opportunity. I'm not a shark. I'm not a typhoon. I'm me. <laughs> it's so sad and so glorious. Yep. Then he goes to the WWF and his Golga. Sorry. Yeah, yeah becomes, he's like becomes Cartman. definitely yeah. not himself. <laughs> Literally becomes Cartman. It's I didn't even weird. know it was him as a kid. I, I just thought yeah. it was some random guy. Michael Buffer is out to introduce our next match for the Two legendary oh teams that are in it. <sighs> and I am yeah. so sick of Michael Buffer. Holy shit. I only ever remembered Let's Get Ready to Rumble. And that's very cool. And if that's all he said, I wouldn't ever get sick of it. But his introductions out in his legendary kilt. I can see what he's wearing, Buffer. Are you commentating for the blind? Like He, they, <laughs> he just says random inane stuff about fucking all the members of this match. And I'm so sick of him. I guess they pay him by word. <laughs> They only pay him for Hogan and the main event anyway. Right. So, because there's a night show where Hogan wrestles, but it's like halfway through the show and Buffer comes out. And you're like, what's going on? I'm like, oh, he must be paid specifically to announce Hogan stuff. That's really weird. Do you think weird. Buffer is on retainer from Hogan? He's not even under contract by WCW. I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprising. The, the match anyway is uh, we get Hogan and Bret Hart versus Piper and Savage and. I haven't watched any of this feud on the Nitros or Thunders, but Gus has walked through with me and it actually sounds pretty funny. 
so Savage and Piper are an uneasy babyface alliance. Okay, do you Piper want me to explain from- this one? Because it's very awkward. <laughs> okay, you, you go for it. Yeah, you go for it. Gus. Yeah, so if you'll remember, last month, Randy Savage wrestled Bret Hart. And Roddy Piper was the special guest referee. Roddy Piper saw something happen that didn't happen and disqualified Randy Savage or whatever it was, but he cost Randy Savage his match. The next night on Nitro, Randy Savage is out to go ballistic as only Randy Savage can can be and is so crazy about the whole thing. To which Piper returns and in a rare sign of continuity and logic, actually apologizes by saying, I got it wrong. I watched the tape and it was clear that you didn't use those brass knuckles or whatever they were. And it should have been you who won the match. So as my powers of commissioner, I have chosen to overturn the decision. He says this and I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. Randy doesn't hear anything and continues to go about how mad he is and he wants Piper. From that point on, Bret Hart comes out and he's like, "Uh, I won the match. Screw you guys. And then Hogan shows up because he has to latch onto something uh, instead of defending his world title. And so they they go from from that to wanting another match to a tag match. This is all set up on the very first Nitro after the pay-per-view. But Randy is still not happy about this because that means he has to wrestle with Roddy Piper and he hates Roddy Piper. Cue weeks and weeks of promos back and forth where they get in the ring and Randy goes off on Piper and usually attacks him for no real reason. And not only that, he attacks them when the NWO is around. So then they get jumped by the NWO or the NWO just watches and laughs as the two buffoons who are supposed to be tagging together <laughs> beat the shit out of each other. It all gets to the point where Piper goes, listen, after this match is done, we're going we're gonna to wrestle together. When it's done and it's done, if you still hate me, let's just wrestle and get it over with. And, and Randy's like, cool. No matter what, I'm going to beat the shit out of you as soon as we beat the shit out of those two goons. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> because I can't stand you. All throughout this, the other main big thing, I suppose, even though it's not that big, is Elizabeth goes back to NWO Hollywood. So she's now with Eric and Hogan. Uh, you can imagine how creepy and sleazy that is. So there's lots of jokes about randy's manhood and not being able to satisfy elizabeth and all that kind of stuff hogan just sits around he never gets involved in anything brett also sits around and never gets involved in anything. great great money spending they're doing with brett i have to say phenomenal utter nonsense like i and i can't believe that this is the half main event it's just terrible i like how uh gus described to me at one point that all Brett was doing on these nitros is goading Piper into being um, a goading macho into being crazy. And just Piper being actually the voice of reason for once his career going, <laughs> yeah. why are you listening to him? And he's like, he has a point to me. He hates you and you hate him. Why are you <laughs> listening to him? Yeah. And you can see macho being the crazy macho. And you go, it's mm, making a lot of sense there. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, very, it's very funny for once Piper just like, completely like breaking the fort wall almost and go no macho what the fuck are you doing this is weird he, he calls <laughs> he calls randy an idiot in a very lovely way it's some um, oh he's like <laughs> he played with a swing set into a concrete wall as a child 
(laughs) there's some really really choice insults that he gives because he just can't he just gets fed up of randy he's just like all right this is ridiculous let's get through this and i can be done this stuff is very wrestling 101 with the uneasy face tag team coming out separately and brett and uh, hogan coming out together even though um brett is still not nwo let's be clear about that he's like the recruiter but he's not hollywood which is a very weird distinction he's I still mean, making. He may as well be, but to be fair, like he hasn't worn a shirt. Like he'll come out for promos, but he he sits in a corner and he doesn't do anything. He actually doesn't even wear his own merch. He wears Hogan's, which is re- it's just, it's just gross. Hogan's still making money off Brett all these years later, you know? Hogan starts with Piper. They tease uh, good teamwork for Savage and Piper at the start as they both try and gouge Hogan's eyes out for a combined 50 times Five seconds into the match. (laughs) (laughs) They just both do it so much. It's like their secret tag team move. They just both go, how is Hogan not blind at the end of this match? (laughs) The ref's like, yeah, that's, you're in there deep all that. (laughs) (laughs) Starts counting. (laughs) You get five seconds though. It's not Raven's rules, it's Piper's rules. (laughs) I gouging allowed. (laughs) When the heels take over the match and they put Piper into their corner, they also just gouge his eyes like (laughs) ten times. It's like the only heat. How does it get heat for the bad guys, but a pop for the good guys like every time? It's so weird. Just feels sorry for Brett. Like he's gone from wrestling Sean and like I know he didn't like Sean. But at least they could have good matches, and now he's in yeah. the middle of this. Like, matches of the era, to be honest. Like, the end of that era is, like, their matches. And yeah, he's just... That, maybe he snapped, and he won't admit it. He's like, Hogan was making so much money, so I just started acting like Hogan, and they kept paying me, you know? It's, the, we got the scenario where Macho is too hot. Uh, he wants to get into the match while Piper is getting isolated, but he's causing uh, nothing but pain for Piper, distracting the ref, getting goaded into the ring, and... Brett is kind of in his element. Well, this isn't like a strictly good match. This is just kind of classic tag team wrestling stuff. The Disciple is an idiot and distracts the ref at a weird time, meaning the ref uh, doesn't see when uh, Savage slides a chair over Piper's body and Hart accidentally headbutts the chair when he goes for his his midsection headbutt. I don't know why the Disciple slid in a chair. I don't know what it was supposed to do on the body of the person he was giving it to, like on, on the body. It just, oh, it made no sense. Uh, during the hot, <laughs> sorry, during the hot tag, Hogan fires Piper into the ropes as Macho uh, is going for an elbow. This uh, jacks up Macho's knee while he falls, and while Piper is fighting Hogan and the disciple on the outside, Hart locks on the sharpshooter and makes Macho tap. If that sounded like there wasn't much to the match, it's because there wasn't. You're missing a key detail, also. What am I missing? Sorry. It's it, but it's from the announcers. They miss him running the ropes. So also oh, they just think Macho falls. Yeah, they don't call it that. <laughs> Piper knocks him off the ropes. They just think he he falls, and like it's clearly intentional that. Yeah. So Randy can blame Piper for the for again. The yeah. Mm-hmm. But they just miss it, so it it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pointless. That's what I have in my notes. Pointless. pointless. Why? Why have this match? Nitro match. Jeans in the ring after the match to rub it in, apparently. <laughs> yes. yes. That's all he does on this sh- on our shows. <laughs> the Malanco one is so good. Why are you such a loser, Dean? Tell us. <laughs> he, he, had, he didn't needle Benoit, though. Come on. He's lost more pay-per-view <laughs> matches. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> he's too scared. He's too scared. That okay? Yeah. That no. That's that tracks. That's there. Uh, <laughs> Savage can't walk, and Piper hand waves away Gene, which is the only reasonable fucking response to Gene. Get out of here, Oakland! What the fuck are you doing? We just lost. And Piper tries to pick up Savage, and he's stopping. He doesn't want to have the match with him after. Uh, Savage has tried his best. He's crazy as fuck. Why would you want to fight him? But Savage just jumps on Piper straight away and hits an elbow drop. Savage sells the leg hard, like he can't get the pin. And when he doesn't get one, he just knocks out Charles Robinson for no reason. And Robinson gives the best bump of the night. There's a proper inside-out bump, which is insane. This man, this man had a better calling in life. Piper has enough uh, uh, and slaps on the figure four. He just has had enough of uh, of Savage. Replacement left runs down, and Savage gives up for the second time in five minutes. I kind of like the character work afterwards. It's kind of fun. Go get your leg healed, Randy, please. Yeah, see, I would say that, but this is this is the last we see of Savage on the podcast. Wow, really? Yeah, he, he finally. We, we we've been saying the past couple episodes that his knee is hurt, and now he finally goes. I think he has one more match in Nitro the day after this, and then he's gone until April of of ninety nine. When does Spider Man One come out? That's what I want to know. Checking two thousand more, but in my guess. Um, there's one in 2002. Oh, that must be it. Maybe that's it. That's a big gap. I was about to see when, when does he look like a balloon animal is what I want to know. That's pretty much, it's pretty much when he comes back. I'm pretty oh, sure. Yeah. Cause I think that's when he yeah. does like gorgeous George and all that stuff. Because he comes back double the size he is now. Yeah. It's gross. It It's bad. And I know, like, I know he's trying to like make up for the fact that maybe he can't move as much anymore or whatever. But he becomes completely immobile. He's still having, like, he still had very good matches with DDP on our timeline. Like, he's limited, but he's been able to put people over. He blew out both his knees by jumping off the top of a fifty-foot cage. Like, he still had, <laughs> he still had a bit of like spring in his step. And when he, I remember him when he comes back from a. There's so a little need for that cage spot as well. It's so funny. It's obviously not. He just fucks up his knees. But it's so funny. He can just run in at the side or climb down. And he just takes the biggest cage bump I've ever seen in my life. It's so good. What do you, what do you guys think of this run for Randy? I, it's, it's a real mixed bag for me because he, he, yeah, puts, he puts over young talent. Is what he wants to do in WWE, right? He talked about putting over young talent. He's part of one of the biggest moments in wrestling history, taking that leg drop. The, you know, yeah. the, the storyline, it's understated, but the storyline of him being the wild card coming into that match, that put doubt in people's heads. Like, people thought Randy could have turned, and Randy could have been the third person. And the whole circumstance of that storyline amplifies the NWO storyline and really go gives you that shock of Hogan was the last person out of a list of four or five people in that match that I thought were going to turn, you know? So he does some really good work, and then he does some real sloppy, slow, past his prime shit. So mixed, but it's hard to call it bad because of how important his DDP matches and his NWO involvement were. What, what do you think, Gus? Yeah, I think overall he's a, a plus for me. His... All, he's he's responsible for a lot of moments, like you said. Like, he's part of the very beginning. I think a big, big part of him is that he helps get over DDP. Because I don't know who else was supposed to do that at that point. Like, everybody else is kind of involved. He's the right kind of guy for it. He seems capable of putting people over, unlike 
certain other people. So I think he's been quite positive overall. Maybe he's been on it too much, but lots of those guys have been on it too much. And then when it's been bad, it's generally because everybody's been bad. I don't think I could isolate him and think that he's done something really, really shit. I think it's just been the overall direction. So I think this is a pretty good run for him considering his age and capability at this point in his career. Yeah, of all like the old WWF like legends, I think he's mm. probably one of the yeah the, the shining spots out of all of them. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy w- with his overall run here, but I'm not really too sad to see him go. Honestly, no. there's not enough space up the top, so it's probably beneficial in the long run for them here because it allows them to bring up like DDP or Steiner or booker one of those a couple of those guys can fill in there's a lot of talks of that in modern wrestling and uh especially with aw propping up and like these rosters of huge amount of talent and i think we're we're seeing it here like a lot of these guys would have benefited if some of the older guys would go away for six months and come back and then the person coming back gets to you know relish in a return change their character get any alignment they want face or heel it's really easy to make a returning wrestler and, like, no one's going to forget Randy Savage. He's one of the biggest wrestlers of all time. So if Randy had gone away, and I know he does here, but if Randy goes away, makes space for a new baby face, DDP becomes a Wolfpack member, whatever you want them to do, and then comes back, that's better for the business. And it would be better if we didn't have to wait for Randy to be in, like, crippling pain. Like, if we just went to Randy, uh, I know we're paying you a lot. We're going to give you a six-month break. Uh, you're going to be off the road. We need you to heal up. And that would also mean that these stars – aren't in wheelchairs when they're like 50, you know, like Piper is the example of this, like Piper dying and giving that interview where he's like, I know, I'll, I'll, like, I know I'll be dead before I'm uh, 60 or 70 or whatever he said. Like a perfect example of this is Ric Flair. Yeah. We haven't noticed him being gone at all. I don't think. And to imagine where he would have fit in if he'd never left is probably not a good thing. Yeah, he just he'd be working himself into the ground. We wouldn't care about his matches. He'd be taking the spot of a younger talent that needs that TV time. I, I think at a certain point, these people are so big that they can come back whenever. Like Ray's going to come back, and I've missed Ray to an extent, but it doesn't mean that I'm not hot on Ray anymore when he comes back. You know what I mean? There's this super fear, and in fairness, it comes from a very grounded place from the wrestlers even, that if you're not there, someone eats your spot. It's not that you're sharing a spot with other members of the roster they will eat your spot and they'll eat your paycheck and that's why these people are clamoring to be on tv all the time but i think there's so much good in going away for a while and yeah randy it's time for randy to go away for a while our last match of night our main event we have sting versus a giant the current wcw tag team champions as it were there's been a lot of controversial over these titles again a bit convoluted again to do with the Wolfpack. so gus i'll let you break this one down Okay, so the last we saw of Sting, he was slack-jawed outside the ring, watching as Scott Hall turned on his best friend and joined NWL Hollywood. That's right. That's the only mention of Scott Hall you will you will see on this pay-per-view because he has not been on TV at all. Not even mentioned. Giant comes back and he's true to his word and he says, look, you got you got to pick a side, Sting. You should join us. You can be tag champions with us in the Hollywood. You can make all the money. By the end of it, Sting decides to join the Wolfpack. It takes a couple of weeks because instead of a couple of days, why not drag it out? Giant is not a, is not happy about this, as you might expect, and decides that he feels 
He is the tag team champion and he gets to choose his own partner, to which he picks Brian Adams, of all people, fantastic from the choice, NWO. And he's so confident in his new partner and their new formed tag team that he puts up the tag team titles for a match and he offers it to Lex Luger. So at the time, Lex Luger, who's just recruited Sting, is, is, has set his sights on another big star from WCW, and that's DDP. So he offers the spot to DDP to wrestle for the tag belts. And lo and behold, Lex beats the Giant and Brian Adams. So they get to go off the air with Lex Luger and Diamond Dallas Page celebrating in the crowd with the tag team titles. Great, right? Oh, but wait. As the show is going off the air, J.J. Dillon, from his home, calls in to WCW and on air speaks to the announcers and says, Oh, I'm sorry about that, Tony. We've been trying to get through to you guys for the last hour since Giant made that challenge. I hate to tell you this, but this match doesn't count. What? And they're like, what? What are you talking about? He's like, oh, I'll explain on Nitro, oh, but uh, what just happened isn't going to fly. So the show goes off the air like that. Nobody in the crowd has heard this, naturally, because they're speaking directly to announcers. Everybody's celebrating with Lex and DDP. And on Nitro, they rescind the match and they'd be like, listen, Giant, you don't get to decide who your partner is. You don't get to decide when you wrestle for the tag belts. That's our job. To which I would say, JJ Dillon, why aren't you in the fucking building? If that's your job. (laughs) I do love that explanation. You can't just make matches. You can't just use your partners. That's how none of this works. That's how none of this has ever worked. (laughs) So after that, he goes, well, you're going to wrestle on the pay-per-view and then you'll be allowed to pick your partner and you'll be the tag team champions. (laughs) So Sting and the Giant is for the right to be called a tag team champion and pick their partner. Also of note, the Giant, after that humiliating display, has told the world that he's chosen the Apocalypse as his partner. Yes, that's right. The Disciple will be the tag team champion with him if he wins tonight. Why have none of them picked Scott Norton as their partner? Obvious choice. So the man is the best wrestler in the in the company at the point. So you're telling me that if JJ Dillon wasn't working from home, we would have we could have avoided <laughs> this. <laughs> there, there's a lot of like during the month. There's a lot of this where JJ Dillon isn't in the building, like particularly for Jericho because he he tries to get the his stuff and JJ Dillon isn't there. But it just really speaks to me that the WCW booking committee is incompetent uh, because they're never there when you need them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Not not when it's necessary, and then he's always there when nothing happens. So I couldn't believe they they did a bait and switch on a TV show that the crowd couldn't hear, and it was just wow. This is it is next level uh, nonsense. Very weird circumstance. This match, JJ Dillon, still a character that doesn't work for me very much, but I kind of like it. I kind of like this main event. It's fresh. It's two people the, co- the company probably should be focused around. It's not Hogan. And it's interesting. It's making the world's tag team titles feel important, even if there's no, like, normal tag team fighting for them. To the match, uh, Giant comes out smoking. And I didn't know the backstory to this to the commentators explain. So I'm like, this is weird. This is a whole new lever- level of I don't give a fuck by Giant displayed here. But apparently this is from a comment Sting made about him. You know, he could be, like, better. He could be training more. He could not be smoking. And he'd be better. 
Uh, and so he comes out smoking, which is very funny. It would not fly in any way on any TV station nowadays. Sting with the red face paint comes out for the wolf pack. Uh, completely God, so weird. Completely awful. I didn't realize the white and black. I know he goes back to white and black face paint, but I didn't realize the initial stint was so small. What's it, a year and a half in the timeline? That's a long time. Yeah, in, pretty, yeah, pretty in much. Wrestling, yeah. though. I guess so. His character didn't seem fully developed yet. We, <laughs> me and Fergus were talking about this because of current promos that Sting does, where in my head, Sting had brooding promos, like Raven esque promos in WCW. And he didn't. He's always has been, and it's never changed. He's just been surfer dude Sting with different costumes on. It's like a Ken doll that you put your Halloween costume on. He's still a Ken doll underneath all of it. And that's what Sting has felt like in this run. I, I, I expected more, but I guess the gravitas of like the jacket and the music as a kid kind of tricked me into thinking he was something different. What do you guys think of the, the initial crow run of Sting? Yeah, I, I really miss it. They really dropped the ball. So it, them going in a different direction, I guess, just because they don't know what to do. There was definitely a lot of potential still in that character because, yeah, they just didn't seem like they wanted to stay with it long enough. Does he really need to join the Wolfpack? I, I don't think so. I think there could be interesting storylines if he goes like against Luger or something. Yeah, I don't think they knew what to do with this. No. Yeah, it, no, they didn't. I'm sure Sting was like, I want to be with my buddy. Yeah, sure, go ahead. Join the group. Yeah, I, I think they have nothing to do with him. I think like he never recovered from his initial weirdness with Hogan. And maybe some of the good Sting stuff I'm remembering is when, like, after the wolf pack and stuff, because he does go back to the black-white Sting. I know there's a famous Fatal 4-Way match. It's like him, DDP, Hogan, and I think, is it Steiner or Jared or something? And I know that kind of phase is supposed to be good, but uh, I'm kind of disappointed by his initial run. But it's kind of on my expectations, opposed to anything. Giant still smoking the cigarette, puffs the smoke into Sting's face. <laughs> Sting kind of no-sells it, and then Giant charges him in the corner. Sting avoids this and hits a splash in the corner. He goes for another one, and Giant kicks him out of mid-air, which I think looks really cool. I don't see that that often. Usually, like, they just keep their boot up, and the baby face runs into it. But Giant actually pushes him out of mid-air, and he goes flying across the ring. Giant is super dominant in the opening stages of his match, no selling a crossbody, and Sting just crumples to the ground. He just lets Sting hit him and fall, and it looks very cool from my standpoint. He also uh, fucking lawn darts him into the corner, doesn't snake eyes him, you know, throw him up and let him land. Forward trusts him, could have killed the man, lawn darts him into the corner. Eventually, Sting, uh, Sting uh, drop kicks the knee and uh, hits another two splashes in the corner, getting the big man off his feet. Sting locks in the Scorpion Deathlock, but Giant just kicks him off, which is still a very impressive-looking feat. We know we have Dean doing it earlier tonight. Sting hits two Scorpion Death Drops, but Giant kicks out of both. Sting blocks an attempt at a choke slam with a knee to the head, which looks pretty cool. Uh, a Scorpion Death Drop from the second turnbuckle, this kind of delayed one where Giant is fighting against it is uh puts away giant uh finally for the tree count a very brief match but i think kind of perfect in playing into both men's strengths i i actually enjoyed this main event a lot for both men showed off the uh, the strength of giant in some of the spots and for sting it was the same old same old kind of stuff he's been doing for years but still after seeing some of the train wrecks he's been in in this company i'm happy to see him back at this what, what did you guys think Pretty much the same feeling. I think they've wrestled once before, and I think, yeah, Sting is the 
only guy to really get like heel giant, like a, a decent match out of him. And yeah, I thought this was short and sweet. Pop the crowd, do some cool moves. I liked it. Again, this could be a Nitro match. I think that's my prevailing feeling of this pay-per-view. Is that, would you pay to watch this? I don't think so. I'd have mm. to be pretty wrapped up in the storylines. It's This one's a little hard from the podcast point, but you, you're you more able to answer this because you're obviously watching it week to week and you're not in agreement. But uh, if you're not wrapped up in the MWO, if you're not super, what's going to happen with the Wolfpack? Do you care? Like th- these things are just going to stand out so badly in history like, by themselves. The problem is, is that the people that you're supposed to care about aren't even really on the show. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, like Lex isn't on it, and why don't you do something else? Like, what? Why is Nash not wrestling? I, I just don't get it. Like, I, there's just guys that should be on it. Like, why is DDP not on here? I, it doesn't make sense sense to me. Yeah, this is a really weird weird point where the for the tag team titles. They, I guess they wanted to do something here just to kind of settle this, but we've been very critical of the tag team division, and I think right, rightfully so. And I, I looked ahead, too. Do you guys want to guess how many times the tag team belts are defended on pay-per-view going forward in 98? So we're covering six more pay-per-views. I'll even throw the bonus Nitro that we're doing, the Goldberg Nitro. How many more title defenses will we review? You, you have it with the biggest, uh, one of the biggest stars in your company, obviously six. Since Dave didn't go for the serious attempt, I'm going to say one. I reckon one. Ding, ding, ding. Correct. Oh, God. One more defense. That's it. I thought you were going to say zero, Dave. They do not care about the tag team titles. (laughs) I was about to say, if this led to the the titles being more cared about, because this is a big push for the titles, and I I was interested in that the storyline is convoluted, but it is cool, and it plays a lot into the NWO. What Wolfpack member will Sting pick? Find out on Nitro, you know? They're not even having tag matches on TV, though. Right. Like, there's there's not even lower card stuff. Maybe there's something on Saturday night or worldwide, but, like, you very rarely see Public Enemy or High Voltage. And they're really the only tag teams when you think about it. Yeah, I mentioned on the previous episode that even when they're on the show, they'll have singles matches. Yeah. Is, it's just like, odd. For a month there, like, Finley wrestled both High Voltage members. One right. week after the other, but they never tagged <laughs> during that period, so uh, it's like they're not a tag. I mean, Booker, Booker and Stevie Ray, because Stevie Ray's been gone, so that that's one of their main tag teams gone. The Steiner brothers are broken up. Bagwell's tag team doesn't exist again; he's injured. So they did lose a couple of them, but they haven't tried to replace it. There's been no. That's what irks me the most. Bischoff just complains like, "Oh, well, I have to pay for more wrestlers," and it's like, "Come on, man." Shut up. <laughs> you must have infinite guys sitting there that could be. Could it's be just he guys. hates tag team wrestling for some reason, yeah. which makes no sense to me. It's the same with obviously modern wrestling and it's improving now, but it's the same with WWE. This whole tag team wrestling is bad. You have to hire two people. None of them even move the needles. Just such a weird displacement of how a full entertainment kind of in, like company works. Also is completely ignoring the history of wrestling where Legion of Doom and the Freebirds were some of the biggest independent draws of their generations. And they're like, nah, nah, tag team wrestling doesn't make money. Except it's, not even that, it's not even that, too. It's more of just, it's a great way to develop your talent because not oh, yeah. all your talent are good singles wrestlers. Sometimes guys just thrive better in tag teams. During this era, one of the most popular tag teams, they suck as singles wrestlers. I'm talking about you, New Age Outlaws. Oh, yeah. They're terrible horrible, as singles horrible, guys. Horrible singles guys. Horrible. But 
they somehow managed to be one of the most over tag teams, even though they're not really that great of a tag team, but they capitalized perfectly on this era. So there's some tag teams that are like the complete package, right? Boat wrestlers are fine. Technical guys, they have a good gimmick. They can both talk. That's not the New Age Outlaws. New Age Outlaws is one athletic guy, one mediocre wrestler that can talk decently and have a decent gimmick and have the right era and their matches are booked well. And that put two guys way over. They sold t-shirts and they were draws and neither of them were ever going to make it as a singles guy, as you said. And it's the same with LOD. Neither of the LOD guys were going to make it as singles guys. But together, and with a mouthpiece a lot of the time, they're a draw. It's just not utilizing talent, and it's calling anyone that isn't in that perfect square hole that you make a singles wrestler in your mind isn't over. Like, and can't get over. And sometimes it does work, because when then when you see teams like the Hardy Boys or Edge and Christian, those guys, they needed time together to develop. Then they became single stars. So it, it can work both ways. Yeah, the so, fear yeah. the fear is what if we had let uh, Adam, Adam Copeland just out in the singles world by himself? And he flopped. And we never got to see Edge. You know, it's... Well, I mean, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. that, that is also true, yeah. <laughs> he, he, was, he was by himself before they brought in. Yeah, Christian. and they, he mm-hmm. wasn't great. Well, they, neither of them were great until they got with Gang Girl. Anyway, anyway but th- this is the point. I get very mad over this a lot of the times, and... I hate to see the tag team division disrespected, especially when the NWO storyline, like Buff Bagwell is a perfect example of this, draws itself so much to dividing them into sub-teams. Like, what end, what NWO tag team is going to come out of Hollywood this time, you know? Is Hogan or is it going to be Luger with someone? Or, you know, uh, the Buff Bagwell teaming up with the random mooks made them way bigger than the sum of their parts and way more entertaining. So if you have the NWO guys... How is the tag team title not important in the storyline all the time? I mean, yeah, a big part of the NWO being a good storyline was the Outsiders had the belts. That it, it definitely ele- elevated them. So it was, it's been a missing part of this company because I think we we enjoyed the tag team division for like about a year. So it, it's been definitely a sore spot in the booking because yeah, it, it's been very same age. Just all these singles matches. We need something. Even having hardcore matches, we have like one, but those are feel very, very samey as, as well now so not much diversity in the card i guess that's a really i have to I have to laugh at it too because knowing the future the answer for all of this isn't to you know just make tag teams it's to make another tag team division <laughs> we hate tag teams it's galaxy brain separate thinking. division yeah <laughs> yeah it's it, it's kind of sad it, it kind of is anti the booking like you it's so easy to book at the moment i could go on a, about it for hours but not to spoil much, but they're not defended on the next pay-per-view, right? No. The next time we see it defended is Halloween Havoc, and there's completely different champions by then. They're defended on Nitros and stuff like that, but yeah. But on pay-per-view, no. Literally, the cornerstone of the storyline behind the new faction you've made, now especially since Hall is in, uh, is you know not able to wrestle, this has become the center of the storyline. Sting versus Giant, this conflict, whose side are they on all over again? Oh, we'll, f- we'll forget they exist. They don't exist for next pay-per-view, even though we built them up for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, and they're the center of a bunch of thunders and nitros. It's weird. It's a weird prop they use, and it's made me uh, not care very much about what's happening to the people in this match going forward. But we'll ask the question, at the end of this show, what did you think overall of the show, and whose side are you on? Uh, Gus, do you want to go first? I thought the show was very middling. We're going over it there, I think. It really feels like this 
none of this would be something I would pay for. Like it's not a pay-per-view. Stuff has changed. The storyline has moved on, but there's no draw. There's no draw here. I like, even though Goldberg is a draw and obviously people want to see him, the actual match and feud and stuff is non-existent. Like he, it could be anybody he's wrestling tonight. I have to, I have to make a point. I think whose side are you on has basically died. Yeah. Because WCW doesn't exist in terms of that thing. Yeah. Well, we're starting a new one then from tonight on guys. Are you Wolfpack or are you Hollywood? Because the Wolfpack essentially is WCW now. That's really Mm -hmm. what it boils down to. Uh, So they can sell more shirts. I guess Wolfpack, but I mean, I'm not happy about either of them really. I, I guess, like, I guess just Goldberg is really the only winner because they're booking themselves into a corner. It, it's, I don't see how they could have gone any other direction than they are going to go. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. And what, what do you think, Connor? What do you think of it? And do you even have a side? Is there a side to be on? Yeah, it's tough. So, I actually like this show a lot more than Gus did. I actually think it's one of, one of the better shows that we reviewed. Now, Gus is right. Would I pay for the show? Absolutely not. But uh, <laughs> I think most WCW shows I probably wouldn't pay for, really. Like, if I go to, like through all these matches, like, none of them were, like, that embarrassing. It's just some of, like, what you said, eh, it just could have been a Nitro match. But there was a lot of, like, solid action in here. There's a lot of good performances. So I, I'm actually not too down on the show. I actually really liked it. So... If you want to like a middling pay-per-view to, to watch, like this one's not that bad to get what WCW is all about. So, uh, yeah, I was thinking about whose side am I on? Uh, I guess I'm just going to go giant because I like seeing heel giant and the cigarette really, really entertained me. <laughs> it was a nice touch. Yeah, <laughs> nice touch. The whole NWO splitting up right now. is just it's it's been really it's just really bland right now. So I, I can't really say much more than that. Yeah, I think I got to agree with you guys. I didn't think of it before the show, but. I don't really care about any of these, and which is sad because I think the Wolfpack is actually a solution to a lot of problems these storylines had, and that WCW was nothing. This is just the cool people from WCW, and you can rebrand it. And part of me wonders should have they leaned into it and just changed the whole fucking company's name to NWO. You know, it's 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 interesting, but their execution has been poor. Uh, their main feud so far just leads to nothing after this. Their disrespect of my beloved tag team titles is annoying, so it's hard to find anyone's side to be on. Eddie's? Uncle Eddie. I'm with Uncle Eddie. Don't fight your uncles, Chavo. That's disrespectful. I don't I don't mind so much that they've been split and whatever. It's it's the constant like at the very end remembering, oh yeah, we're called WCW. There should be a team WCW. But then they don't put any effort into it. <laughs> And they don't they don't mention it at all until it's necessary. Like it's mentioned in the Hogan match. Like they they reference uh, Piper being teamed. I'm like, no, he's not. He he's this random entity that shows up every now and again. He's like a random Marvel supervillain uh, <laughs> who's just dropped into a story as and when necessary. Like obviously he's not as cool as Galactus or Doom or something, but that's the kind of thing he is. Like he's just. Something to mess with people. He, he's also he, made a very big point of not being on anyone's team. Yeah, like, <laughs> and it, it just bothers me. And they they make that cursory attempt, like they they trot out three people, and like Goldberg's not WCW. Like he's just a dude laying waste to everybody. He's a rhino why, in a china shop, and that's right, why it yeah. works. <laughs> right? Yeah, and the WCW guys aren't coming to the ring together, doing a promo no. together with no. catchphrases and. <laughs> 
with their own merch and things so, like that. I, I, again, I, I hate to draw too much on modern stuff because it's so different, but I'm watching a lot of AEW at the moment. And anytime a face gets beaten down by the, the big faction there, the elite, a lot of random faces just come out and try and save them. And it makes mm-hmm. a little bit of sense. We're all good guys. We all love the company. We all hang out together. We got to help each other. You know, there's a lot of interconnected relationships that they don't forget about just because they want the heels to win. But they just forget about all prior relationships when there's anything happening to WCW in this and any of these storylines. Like, you would think that it would be more of a big deal from the fact that even apart from the whole main event stuff, there's an entire other faction, heel faction, on the roster that basically interferes in every match that they feel like. Yeah. And nothing is mentioned about this, and it's never a problem, and nobody ever does anything about it. <laughs> like it's just, it's just a thing, and you're like, okay, I mean, what? Do you, how do you expect me to care about this stuff if you can't care about it yourself? So, well, I think that's us for another episode of the WCW vs NWO podcast. You can find us on social media under the handle WCW vs NWO podcast. Connor, where else can they find us? patreon.com slash WCW versus NWO podcast. That's where we do exclusive content. So if you want to donate $1, you can get our flashback Nitro episodes. We're going over all the old Nitro episodes from episode one. That's a lot of fun. Also check out sportsobsessive.com. I've been writing some articles on there. And also we post our episodes on there with started from Bash at the Beach going to the current day right now. So check that out, sportsobsessive.com. From me, Connor and Gus, we'll see you next time where we're switching up a little bit and doing a WF show where we can see if men really can fly. <laughs> <laughs>